Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another Something Old, Something New, Something Borrowed, and Something Brewed. I'm Andrew J. Pytel. And I'm Nick Lancaster. And uh, coming up later this episode, we've got an awesome guest, uh, Jack Packard. Um, I would say most well-known for uh, his role in um, Red Letter Media's Best of the Worst series. I think he's on a few reviews. He's on a few other things. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, frequent collaborator. Uh, comedian, video editor. I don't mm-hmm. know. He's he's all over the place. So we've got him coming up in the second half for something borrowed and something brewed. Uh, but as always, well, I guess not always. Uh, <laughs> I was replaced last episode. <laughs> Friend of the show, Jeff Cardwell. But as always, Nick and I are here uh, to do something old and something new. And I think it is your turn this week, Nick, to kick us off with an old album. What do you have for us today? I just want to say, I think when whenever we launch our Patreon, like the first reward tier should just be called Friend of the Show. Because <laughs> that's what we refer to everyone as. Who's One dollar gets you Friend of the Show status. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll list you at the end of every episode. Yeah, we'll give you a shout out. Uh, today, something old. Uh, we've talked about this band before. And uh, I I was kind of hoping that Jack would have been on for the whole episode just for this one because I think the dynamic of having They Might Be Giants and Ween on the same episode uh, really works out. Because and is scary and out of our wheelhouse and nothing we've talked about before. <laughs> because I, I feel like they both have similar trajectories and similar fan bases, etc., similar origin stories. But today I'm talking about Ween's Quebec. It is a... Am I saying that right? I've heard it pronounced Quebec. I would say Quebec. Is it Quebec? Okay. Hold on. You say it Quebec? I do say it. All right. Just keep going. I'll let you know. Okay. Great. Uh, So Ween's Quebec uh, came out in 2003. This is well into the band's history. Not well into the band's history. Well well into their catalog. They've been doing it a while. Uh, this is their first album off of Elektra. I think they just got off that record label. And this is like the first thing that they had done um, as independent artists again. Um, I, I chose this album because I think much like, uh, what was it, Chocolate and Cheese that we talked about mm-hmm. like almost yeah. freaking two years ago with John Johnson. Uh, this is like one of those albums that has all of what makes Ween the weeniest ween like in <laughs> it, it, I, I, it has all of those things that make them like the iconic band that they are mm-hmm. uh it's got the weirdness it's got the like guitar solos it's got the snark it's all over the place and it's got it's got maybe some of the saddest songs that they've ever produced on this album because uh the lead singer aaron freeman also known as 
Gene Ween? Yeah, Gene Ween. It's Gene and Dean, and I can never remember who is who. Mm-hmm. Um, he had dealt with a lot of like drug addiction, a lot of um, just he, he couldn't really handle uh, being on tour and being sober, etc. And I think some of the songs on this album uh, were at a breaking point for him because they they didn't make much more after this album, and then they broke up. So I guess we should probably start out with a clip first just to mm-hmm. set the stage. And the tradition in this show is to start with track one, and I don't see why we would need to break that tradition anytime soon. So let's just dive right in. This is, I think this is a Motorhead parody. The first song on this album, I think they were trying to be funny, and it, it very much sounds like uh, like Lemmy. Mm-hmm. Like it's got this. Uh, also, this song was featured in Tony Hawk's Underground. Yeah. Uh, never played that game, but apparently the song was in this. Um, so here is the first track off of Quebec? Quebec? Uh, it looks like... Quebec. Quebec. <laughs> I think we've got Quebec. Quebec? Oh, hell yeah. I knew I got it. All right. Here is It's Gonna Be a Long Night from Ween on the album Quebec. 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 Another thing said Quebec. I don't I don't know what to trust anymore. Quebec. Quebec. A guy on Quora said Quebec. But... Oh, man. <laughs> well, that, that, right. that guy's an outlier and goes, shouldn't uh, be trusted. Here's the thing about French Canadian. <laughs> um... So that's like a rock song. Yeah, it's it's very in the vein of like Motorhead and. Lemmy I hadn't thought about like, the Motorhead thing until you said it, and now I can't unhear it like well, very much. Well, that's what's interesting about Gene Ween as a vocalist is that he's very uh, versatile, versatile. Quebec, Quebec, versatile, versatile. versatile. I don't. Oh, this is this is the worst pronounced <laughs> episode of all time. Uh, but he his voice he can change it and adapt it to. So many different styles, and I think that's one of the one of my favorite things about Ween, is like obviously we can't go through track by track, but it goes from it's gonna be a long night to Zoloft, which is like the next song, and it's very dreamy and very like, it, it's so, th- this album takes so many sharp turns that it goes from one genre to another genre to another genre. Yeah, I I read one review of this album. Um that referred to the the second half as um poor man's pink floyd that's not that inaccurate yeah especially is, looking at uh chocolate town and i don't want it and mm-hmm. well when we come out this strong with like a driving rock song at right. the beginning that if you start to get more homogenous towards the end people are going to start to find those parallels a little stronger Poor man's Pink Floyd. Yeah, which is funny because I don't remember if I talked about this on the Chocolate and Cheese episode with John, but, like, Ween hates jam bands. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, they they are the type that would hate... Like, they have a long-standing beef with fish for mm-hmm. some reason. Like, they just... <laughs> they, they, they basically have, you know, marked how they feel about fish and they are firmly in camp anti fish, which is funny because fish covers, uh, the song roses are free, which is from chocolate and cheese. So like fish likes ween, but ween just hates jam band and jam band culture, Mm -hmm. which is why all their songs barely break three and a half minutes. Like even when I saw them live, like that was their whole ethos was just like, 
we're going to do like 30 songs and they're all going to be like two and a half to three minutes long. And we're basically going to play them straight through. But yeah, I, I definitely see that near the end of the album, that mm-hmm. sort of Pink Floydy sound. Um, let's let's jump into another clip. Just let's jump into one of those Pink Floydy sounding songs. Um, I, I did a chocolate rain there, where I, I stepped away from the mic to breathe in. Two thousands <laughs> <laughs> kids will get that one. Uh, actually. <laughs> Andrew, I've had a few beers, okay? I've had a few beers. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah, I know Tay Zonde. <laughs> Look, I've been around. I think Tay Zonde followed me on Twitter at one point in time, and then like I didn't follow him back, so he unfollowed me. Was it during your libertarian phase? No. <laughs> and he was like, he was like, man, fuck this guy. <laughs> this guy likes Ron Paul. I'm out. Ron Paul, my ass. Vanilla rain. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, I was almost about to say chocolate rain, but uh, let's do chocolate town, which I think... Fucking vanilla town. Vanilla town. (laughs) So, man, we're about to, like, go into, like, a pretty bummer of a song, like, laughing our asses off. Which is going to, you know, when I edit this, this is going to be a really interesting dichotomy of us just like shit, po- <laughs> shit posting and then it's going to segue right into just like a bummer and then we're going to come right back. So, yeah, we're all we're all goofing right now, but here's a bummer of a song. Here is Chocolate Town from Ween's Chabak. Chocolate Town. I think this is a good example of what happens, I think, fairly frequently on this album, where it's very, like, melancholy, serious things, but with a shit-eating grin. Like, Ween is known for, like, their very amateur, not amateurish, but, like, immature, juvenile, juvenile juvenile is the word I'm thinking of, juvenile sense of humor, like, Chocolate Town... I think you, you you could guess that it was about poop, and you would probably not be that inaccurate about it. Like Ween has a song called "Poop Ship Destroyer." Like Weener, <laughs> Ween are shit posters. Like that's you just like said their whole wiener. stick. Weener, Ween are Weener shit poster. They're, they're Weener shit posters. Oh fuck, that's my Reddit username. <laughs> <laughs> now people are gonna be able to find me. Weener shit poster. <laughs> but it's like that's. That's part of their whole deal, and I think this album is really good at showing like the duality of shit posting. I guess, like it, they're they're very uh, tightly crafted songs. Like the album after this, I think yeah, it's this is before. I don't know if it's before or after this, but there's an album that they did called White Pepper, that's a play on um, like Beatles songs. So they basically took all of like the ideas that the Beatles had, like chord progressions and like the sort of uh, stuff that they came up with, like songwriting structures, and they kind of made their own version of it. So the album's called White Pepper, like the White Album, and then Sgt. Pepper. But it was we before was it before like two thousand for, for clarifying? Yeah, yeah. it was uh, two thousand. Two thousand. Oh my god, mm-hmm. that album's almost twenty years old. Holy shit! Uh, but that's part of their songwriting is like very simple, almost. Um, like Chocolate Town, you could pick up an acoustic guitar and look up the chords and you can know how to play that song almost immediately. 
If you know, I mean, if you know basic chord shapes on guitar, like you could you could pick up a guitar, look up the tabs, and know how to play Chocolate Town. Um, and that's that's always this place that they've been in. Like there's uh, there's a YouTube video where this dude is like talking to different guitar players, and there's a video with the guitar player Gene Ween where he talks about like on Chocolate and Cheese. There's a part where he discovered what major seven chords are, and he's like, "Oh shit." I'm going to use that in everything. Because before then, it was just, you know, um, like open chords. Like mm-hmm. the G, C, D, E minor, E, A. Like all those like really, really basic open chords. And that's that's part of the charm for Ween, I think. I feel like I'm rambling a little bit, but uh, I, I guess I have a lot to say. For those of you playing along at home, a major seven chord <laughs> uh, would be like C, E, G, B. If you don't get it, I don't really feel like explaining. It's it's almost like when you play if you're if you're looking at a piano, okay, and you right. hit C, E, G, and B all at the same time. It's almost like you're playing like a white key and a black key simultaneously, and usually there's like dissonance, but with all of the other notes, it sounds mysterious and almost kind of melancholy. I don't know if Andrew's looking up what that sounds like on his computer right now. I'm trying. He's trying. I don't know how to get... Here, hand me that guitar. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Let's talk about music for a sec. Nick, is this tuned, probably? Uh, I tuned... Yeah, no, I didn't tune it because it was tuned when I bought it, so why would I need to tune it? (laughs) Give me me a major seven, baby. Yeah. So it's a D major seven. It's like it's got that weird, ominous, kind of sad sound to it, where it's almost dissonant, but it's not. Previous, we're talking about previously, this sort of like open chord progressions would be like. Yeah. Kind of. So, it's a little out of tune. Yeah, it's a little out of tune. But, you know, these major seven chords add a little bit of flavor to it. And like once Ween figured out what those were, they started incorporating them all over the place. And I think Chocolate Town's a good example of that. What was that? That's clip number two? We usually yeah. do three, right? Yeah. Do all third right. one and take it home? Yeah, I got one more. And it is the last song on the album called If You Could Save Yourself, You'd Save Us All. And I think this is in my top five ween songs like of all time because it... It's one of those songs that, like, through all of the things that have happened in my life, it, it is one of those anchor points of, like, a song that I can go back to when I'm feeling angry or sad or upset or, or, or all of the things. It's one of those songs where uh, you can hear, like, the agony and frustration and passion in his voice, especially near the end of the song. Um, and I think you, you can interpret it in multiple ways, but I think at the end of the day... It is about a relationship falling out from the bottom. Uh, but again, in this song, there's that irreverence that Ween does. Like, there's a, a line uh, that says, the check's all bounced, I came in your mouth. And it's like, in the middle of this song, he's like, he has all these metaphors, and then he says something, like, really crude and vulgar like that. But it, it, it's it's this dichotomy of, like, Serious mm-hmm. musicianship, serious songwriting. But it's almost that, like it's a coping mechanism. Yeah. yeah. But like in a much grander scale, not grander actually, I guess the opposite, on a much smaller scale, 
than the way a lot of people do it. You know, you have a lot of people who have these, um, these secret lives where they're, you know, crude and weird and basic and they try and make high art to like cover it up or the opposite. You have people like Kesha, who's actually a really good musician. Who's just making Kesha's like a genius because yeah, she's really smart. She just makes pop stuff. And a lot of times, you know, it seems like there's this equilibrium you hit between the two, and Ween does it, like, from one line to another, <laughs> when yeah. most people do it, you know, between real life and their music, or maybe from album to album, but... Yeah, I mean, when when Aaron Freeman quit Ween, he put out, uh, he put out an album called Freeman, like, Freeman, get it? Mm-hmm. And, oh. oh, nailed it. And the first song on that album... Got it in one. The first song on that album is a very descriptive um, account of him. Uh, there's like an instance where he's like on the, he's like drugged out during a performance and just like, I think there's video of this performance, but it's him like laying on the stage with his guitar, like just strumming and singing incoherently. And everyone else on the band has walked off stage because there goes, you know, Gene or Diener having you know, a, one of his episodes. Mm-hmm. And that song ends with him just like proclaiming that he's got a reason to live and he's never going to die. And it's like the most eighties cheesy sounding <laughs> guitar solo. So that's very much, you know, his prerogative to do this balancing act between crass and vulgar and like very real and in your face. And I think that's, that's what Quebec is to me. That is what this album is. Is that it, it, it goes in between quirky and strange and almost novelty sounding music to like gut punchingly like real. So without further ado, here is If You Could Save Yourself, You'd Save Us All by Ween from the album Quebec. So that's how that album ends. And I, 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 think, I think it's a moment of, of, of realness. For for Ween, this band that, for the most part, has branded itself as shit posters, kind of, you know, sarcastic, irreverent pranksters, almost, you know, never really taking themselves all that seriously. And then they end the album with that song, which is is very. I don't know if it's like righteously angry, like very, it, it's, it's, it's a bunch of emotions. It's like very sad. It's melancholy. And then near the end, you know, you, you can hear the strain in his voice. And then, you know, he sings the last line of the song and like the, the instrumentals just like pick up in this sweeping manner and like, just take us to the ending of the album in like a minute long and like instrumental break. And that's it. And then that's how they close it out. So, Nick, yes. as is customary on the show, you have to take everything you just said, <laughs> condense it into some sort of arbitrary scale rating for Quebec by Ween. Uh, how would you rate this album? <laughs> uh, wait, how many? Hold on. I need, I'm looking up how many territories there are in Canada. <laughs> Nick's looking up how many territories there are in Canada. I just want to defend my guitar skill from earlier and say that it wasn't a drop D because Nick was playing Radiohead. <laughs> I was playing Body Snatchers. That's a good song. By Radiohead. By Radiohead. I love Radiohead. Just trying to get sued by Tom York. <clears throat> I'm going to give... Sue me, Tom. Sue me, Tom York. 
Bring it on. Uh, what you gonna give it? I'm gonna give it eight territories out of ten provinces. Whatever that means. There's yeah. only there's only three territories and there's figure ten figure that one out, Canada. But yeah, no, you you can dissect your map and figure it out. I don't know. There's there's definitely some songs on here that uh I, I think I, I definitely kinda glaze over and skip. Like there's another there's a song called uh Is it the Argus or Alkin Road? Uh, or no, there, there's a couple songs that are just they just kind of jam and go for far too long and don't really go anywhere. Mm-hmm. But those, even those songs have something musically interesting going on in them. Um, but I think the songs that really shine are the songs that you talked about in the later half that are uh, a poor man's Pink Floyd. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. When we say that, like... <clears throat> I don't think it's a derogatory thing or a negative thing. I was going to say, like, like, that phrase tends to come that way, but it's like... You know, not everything can be Floyd, right? Yeah. Not everything can be as scary and as intense as it. And almost feeling those same feelings from a, a stripped down sound can be much more intense. Mm-hmm. You know, um, friend of the show, Trevor Depew, uh, commissioned uh, a cover yeah. of a Floyd song. Yeah. The final cut mm-hmm. uh, by uh, AJJ. And almost hearing it like just a guy in a guitar. I think the bass was in it too and the drums. But like really basic and stripped down compared to like a Floyd soundscape. It almost feels more. Yeah, I don't want to say... I I don't know if I want to say that I like AJJ's cover of it more than the original. I do. But AJJ's cover of it is is very good. It's, it's really I don't know, I, I think uh, Sean Bennett's voice really, because that's the thing with like, God, uh, we could talk about Pink Floyd. Well, that's the thing about <laughs> Roger Waters' voice is like the final cut, that album was very much like a Roger Waters solo album minus all of the other members of Pink Floyd. So the final cut is sung by Roger Waters and Roger Waters does not have the greatest singing voice. It's kind of trebly and warbly and just like... It's almost like Ben Folds, mm-hmm. where like it's not the most polished, perfect mm-hmm. singing voice, but the imp- imperfections make it what it is. Back in the day, my friend Paula uh, told me she didn't like Ben Folds, and I was very kind of like, I wanted to know why, and she said, I don't like his voice that much, and I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you dumb know, piece of shit. That is a, I was like, that is a, you know what? That's a great reason why, I guess. <laughs> if you said the songs weren't good, you'd be wrong. If you said the songwriting wasn't good, you'd be wrong. You don't like his voice? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. Yeah, and, and Sean from AJJ really uh, has that going for him in that his voice is very raw and emotional and pure, and it's not perfect, and it's a little rough around the edges. And that's what makes the, the Final Cut cover so good because it just it feels real. Tying it back to Ween... That's what I love about the last song on this album that we just listened to, and I think probably why it's one of my favorite Ween albums ever, is that his voice isn't perfect near the end, and it's very strained and angry and and hurt and sad, and that's what mm-hmm. I love about this album. So that's that's the story of Quebec by Ween. Hell we yeah. should move on now. Let's do it. Uh, let's take a break real quick, though. 
All right, and we are back for the our favorite, favorite thing to talk about on this show, the something new portion. We love new we love music. new music. We love <laughs> popular pop albums. And the album I brought today actually is the second highest selling album of the year so far. Holy shit. Behind that... Ariana Grande's Thank You Next. Uh, I'm talking about When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? by Billie Eilish. In all capitals, stylized. Stylized in all, in all caps, absolutely. When we all fall, okay. <laughs> uh, so, I'll just jump right into it. Um, review, thousand yard review. I was disappointed with this album. Mm. Now, I'm not saying I didn't like some of the songs, and I'm not saying it didn't sound good, but. I was presented with this sort of like cultural preparation of this is going to be something different. Um, this isn't pop music, even though it is pop music. It's not. It's new and it's different. And this is a young <laughs> person who got famous at 14 and made a bunch of money right then so they could do whatever they wanted and they're not being controlled by a studio. Uh, this album's not like other girls, Andrew. Yeah, and look at look at how she wears streetwear, androgynous baggy streetwear, and like, you know, does gross stuff on videos and isn't all girly, and this is gonna be something totally different. Doing it for the Vine, even though Vine doesn't exist anymore. And it just for sure is not that. Um, I think that there is, I think we should listen to a clip from this album before I continue. Um, let's listen to the first single released from this album, um, which is, is it bad guy? I'm Googling this. You should see me in a crown. Okay. Was the, the first, I think I like this one. This album. I think I like this one, if I remember it correctly. Well, let's check it out. Let's find out. All right, here is You Should See Me in a Crown by Billie Eilish from the album When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? So, I mean, like, I kind of like that song. Yeah, it's not it's not unlistenable and terrible and bad. But where I was just about to just rush into is I think that there's two conversations about music. Yes. There's a conversation about, like, what exists and what's out there that is referring to stuff on big record labels with wide distribution that it has huge marketing budgets. And then there's conversations about what exists in the more indie do-it-yourself scene that you can find on YouTube or Spotify. But I think sometimes a conversation about big popular label stuff of like, this is new and different, meaning for something that's going to be a number one record, um, Sometimes people hear that and they think it's true regarding all music. And I just don't think that there's anything uh, revolutionary about this Billie Eilish album. I think that a lot of the the tone of it, which is like weird sort of dark goth pop, I I don't find it revolutionary at all. Um, I, I think it's stuff that I've heard before from bands local to me and smaller acts that friends of mine have been into And I guess I just bought into the hype that it was going to be this whole new thing. And it is for mainstream pop music. Um, But it's also like a very predictable love child of Lord and Lana Del Rey 
and Gen Z culture. Yeah, I mean, if you look up any of the music videos for these songs, God, I, I, I hate, I, I hate like being like, just look at her. But it's like, it's not necessarily like judging her by like her body type or whatever. But if you look at the the sort of like bo- like body language that she's conveying, it's very just like apathetic, slack jawed, wide eyed. And, like, not really conveying any emotion at all. And it just seems very, like... Like, you know, track three is called Zanny. And it's like, you know, we're all young and depressed. And, like, I that I feel like, you know, that's legitimate. Because, like, w- with Billie Eilish, it's, like, this weird thing where it's, like... I want to come at her for her upbringing. Because, what, she's, like... Uh, a homeschooled yep. kid from wealthy, well, and I guess from a wealthy family in LA, and her brother's like a big time music producer. And well, it's just and like, her mom was on, so like her parents are in the entertainment industry. So like this isn't out of nowhere. This isn't a child prodigy story. Um, let's see. Her mom was on Bones, The X Files, Six Feet Under, Friends. <laughs> um, she also voiced Samara in Mass Effect two and three. Um, and her dad's in the industry as well, although his credits are a little bit harder to dig up. Um, and she's from a town that brought us such musicians as um, Beck and Jackson Brown and Diane Keaton, not oh. a musician, but an actress, and Gerard Way. Yeah. And so it's almost, it's like a talent factory. And if you have the right connections, like when you're born. She's from the place where the entertainers come from. Um, that being said, I do think that she's talented. I think I, I actually there's a song in this album that I really truly enjoy. Yeah, um, that is an earworm for me, and like doesn't even play as strictly pop music, which I think is super cool. But the reason that I'm disappointed with the album is because I felt like I was promised something new. And I got, but this is the something new section. <laughs> oh, <fuck>. I'm sorry, <laughs> you you you. Yeah, I had to I had to lay that one it's, lay up. You know, I got my hopes up. I got like a, a sound I hadn't heard before, but instead, what I got was like the most well produced a sound like this has ever been, and nothing on on um the individual herself, Billie Eilish, Pirate Baird O'Connell, um, full name. I think is truly truly talented. I'm not going to take it. I, I, I couldn't. You know, I couldn't even possibly. Famous person, ton of followers, uh, bunch of money after her first single that her brother wrote for her, um, wrote for his band, and then they recorded together with her. That that went viral. Um, I, I don't think there's any lack of talent there, but I don't, I'm not seeing this revolutionary aspect that, you know, I was I was told there would be revolution. Yeah, it's a mar- it's 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 a marketing campaign, not really living up to the hype of the marketing campaign. Mm-hmm. And maybe it did for some people. I mean, again, we're we're millennials, right? We're not Gen Z. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it, it's not you know maybe it's not for us. And I don't, I don't think it is. I think that um, the I think the teenagers were already listening to Billie Eilish before this album came out, and will continue to be. And then I think she's going to be. Uh, uh, an idol of music for them to a pretty big extent. Um, but I guess maybe I should have tempered my expectations with the understanding that like there isn't ubiquitous revolutionary music anymore. Like 
no one's dropping an album that I'm going to hear about on the radio and on my social media and from people around me that's going to blow me away as completely new and original uh, because for it to have reached that big of an audience in the first place, it has to have some familiar uh, and sellable characteristic to it. You know, Lord seemed super cool and new, but at the end of the day, what was the difference? Like a dark, ominous tone to some other pop songs, her being a great singer-songwriter? Oh, I okay. Little segue. I'm I'm waiting for this to happen with Billie Eilish because Billie Eilish occupies this weird territory of sort of depressed, like singer songwriter, very young women, where like the way that they sing, it sounds like they have cotton in their mouth. Mm. Like it's this like very particular vocal style, and this thing that keeps happening that I I cannot stand. I hate it so much, but it'll take a modern pop song. And then make it really down tempo and moody and edgy. And then they'll have like almost like ASMR, like close enough to the microphone. She's like, also a, a huge figure in the ASMR community. Yeah, she, well, this album, yeah. like I was listening to this album with like my studio headphones on the other, like earlier. And yep, I definitely picked up on those vibes. But like there's a thing that was it, Lord did a cover of Everybody Wants to Rule the World for like some video game. Yep. And it's just like, Welcome to your life. And I, I hate it. I hate it. You know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I do. And it's just like, it's, it's only... me. A, I'm the guy. Where I, It's only a matter I'm of time. I'm keeps doing down-tempo. Yes, exactly. Down-tempo pop songs for movie trailers. Yeah, like, I'm waiting for Billie Eilish's Backstreet's Back. Like, <laughs> oh, really, fuck. just like, moody, edgy. Like, for the next Assassin's Creed game or some shit. I hate it. I, re- I really do. I do want to rain. The- I do want to rain this all in here and say that I actually um, was like I did not dislike this album. Um, yeah, bad guy I, is I, like I was, very catchy. I was disappointed because I guess I guess I thought what I had heard going in um, as the as the uh, singles would have been the most mainstream sounding stuff, and the rest of the things on the album would have been, like, that weirder, experimental, mm-hmm. like, punk-influenced, goth-pop, whatever is supposed to be going on here. But as it turned out, um, the singles, I think, had were the most inspired songs on the whole album, and a lot of the rest of it really just feels like filler. You know, she's got five singles on the radio right now, so I think we'll keep it at two clips here, um, because you're not going to be able to get away from this one. It is popular. It is popular with the young people, which they are um, the trendsetters. One percent of people set the trends that most of the rest of people follow. And with music and pop culture, it tends to be uh, it's like the the thirteen through nineteen year olds really decide that for us. Yeah, Billie Eilish was on Hot Ones on YouTube. It's got yeah. like thirteen million views already. You're not getting away from this album. And here and here's the good news: I don't think the songs are bad. No, I think it's not. actually pretty good. I would give this album um I feel like I've I've scaled my shit so differently so many times. But like <laughs> listening to this for me is like an eight out of ten. Like maybe a seven and a half out of ten in that like it's not my favorite, but I didn't have a single moment where I was like, I dislike this. This is yeah. offensive to me. I definitely At its worst, it's cookie cutter. Yeah. I, I feel like, you know, the Girl Pool album that we talked about a couple episodes ago, I liked that so much more than this but mm-hmm. i feel like girl pool is also like sort of a gen z band i don't know i think girl pool is a little bit older than billy eilish mm-hmm. but like 
that just I, I guess it's a matter of like authenticity and mm-hmm. uh I don't I don't do well with like manufactured authenticity which with this album actually I'm I'm pretty happy with the fact that like if you look at the songwriting credits it's Billy and her brother. Yeah, and that's that's I think the the maybe what is like the real cool part about this album is that even when it feels poppy, you know, there's not a firm in Denmark writing these songs. It is still two people um, writing most of the music, one of them singing it, the other one, you know, her brother uh, handles, I think, a decent amount of the instrumentation um, because her first big single was a song he wrote for his band that he then, you know, they sort of recorded a version together that went, you know, the, the, her quote on it was like, when it when it got a thousand listens, we went to Taco Bell to celebrate <laughs> and it ended up with 2.2 million listens. And it's just like, oh, okay. bought a Taco Bell. So like, Honestly, really impressive um, pivot from kids with parents in the entertainment industry who her brother was 17 and she was 14, I think. So like kids still, you know, having a band and whatever. And she was, you know, taking dance classes and stuff, pivoting that into like, "Ah, I'm an actual real hugely famous celebrity now. Really good stuff for a debut album that wasn't taken over by a production company. Yeah. The the studio did not make this album, and that's really cool. What I'm disappointed with is that parts of this album could totally have been made by the studio, and I guess I wanted more. Yeah. But I'm going to send you out with one more clip from this album. This is from um, the song that, that I like the most on this album. Um, which was one of the singles. Um, uh, track 10, uh, Bury a Friend. All right, here is Bury a Friend from Billie Eilish's When We All Fall Asleep, Where Do We Go? So before we move on, um, and I give this a rating. You already gave it a rating, didn't you? I did give it a rating. You can give it a better one? No. Um, <laughs> I I realized, you know, listening to that song and... and we talked off mic about some comparisons to other songs with a similar um, Sonic Arena, and I also started thinking about. Um, I never played that game, Sonic Arena. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Uh, I think what is kind of cool about this, in a way that is a bit revolutionary for being like a big box pop album, is that a lot of it is down tempo, which down tempo in in pop culture is not anything new but for a big pop artist you know we're putting um billy eilish uh in this sort of like flow chart that lord and lana del rey sort of lead to but we're thinking about you know what the big lord hits were way more up tempo than any of this with a much brighter vocal and even that at the time seemed sort of like dark Mm-hmm. You know, even Royals seemed sort of dark compared to what was out at the time in terms of like, you know, we had just come out of sort of the, the dubstep becoming pop era of pop music um, where everything was big and and layered to all hell. And you have this stripped down and vocal piano and physical rhythm thing that Lord was doing. Um, but even that is still way more like brassy and upbeat than what we've got from Billie Eilish, which I am... Um, hesitantly excited for the direction of pop music in the future um, in this era of openness with YouTube and Spotify. And SoundCloud. Like, and this, SoundCloud. Yeah, this like, is absolutely like a product of 
people having their own home recording equipment and having access to like well and if if the kids I feel so fucked up seeing the kids. If the Gen Zers, that sounds even worse. If the middle schoolers um, and high schoolers didn't have YouTube, um, like we didn't have YouTube the way that there is now. We didn't have Spotify the way that it is now. When we had YouTube, if you don't like what? what's on the radio, you can go find something else. And if you're all of the 13-year-olds in the U.S. and you decide you don't like what's on the radio and you find something else, that thing becomes the new popular thing. Yeah, I mean... Everything's going to evolve way faster than it ever has before. When we had YouTube, it was like, what, 2006? Mm-hmm. And it was like, there's a pug on a skateboard. Yeah, and the YouTube. fucking Numa Numa dance. Yeah. Like, we didn't have YouTube. Or Chocolate Rain. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it wasn't there the way that it is now. And so I, I think I am hesitantly excited for the future of pop with um, things being able to evolve as fast as they're going to. Um, you know, as fast as tastes are going to change. That stuff will become what is featured by the big studios. You and think that's Billie, never been the case before. You think Billie Eilish is going to get milkshake ducked? Billie Eilish was almost milkshake ducked oh, really? for a track on this album. Oh, shit. There's a, a track entitled Wish You Were Gay. Um, and it is a, a several groups uh, um, are offended by that. Um, and her explanation of it is juvenile. Not not as an insulting term, but, like, she's 17 now. So she was 16 when a lot of these interviews were taking place. And the song is about how she's, you know, she was scorned by this person. And she's wishing that they were gay so that she could blame him not being into her on that. Um, which isn't, like, the <laughs> single worst thing anyone's ever sung about ever. But... You know, she wrote, she's a, she's a kid. Uh, and, and her response was like, no, it's just sort of like a self-deprecating joke about myself. But it sort of reads as like, I was just joking, bro, which is not a good defense. Um, but like, but also, it's, but it's so it it's like very much it, I if if everything I said and every every lyric I came up with when I was 17. Yeah. Was in the public eye the way that the second yeah, best dude. selling album of 2019 is. I'd be crucified probably too because I, I was been, a kid. Yeah, dude. If I had Twitter when I when I was like in middle school or early high school in like the mid two thousands, I would have been canceled so fast. And so I don't. I'm not gonna gonna say any bit of judgment on if it's bad or if it's not because it is completely not my place to decide because I'm not in the group that would be hurt by that song. Um, but I am interested to hear what people do think about that moving forward because it's it was a kid saying a childish thing that also, if you spin it through a super weird light, can be kind of progressive sounding of like, it's not about it being a bad thing. It's they're both at ages where people are finding their gender identity. Yeah. This yeah. is so like, I, I don't know. But like, I, I think there was, there was almost some milkshake ducking there. And so then I would say... We, I feel like we have to explain what milkshake duck is. Yeah. But I feel like if she's going to get... I, I I think that she will not get milkshake ducked because I bet that that was a brush with social awareness at a young enough age and such an intense enough time that she'll be very aware of that moving forward. Yeah. So for, for those of you who are listening who don't know what a milkshake duck, milkshake duck is, <laughs> there was a tweet... Do you that, know what a milkshake duck is, Michael? So there was... A, <laughs> our intern, Michael. Uh, there was... <laughs> 
There was a Trevor's twi- also in the studio. Hi, Trevor. Hi, Trevor. What's up? Oh, yeah. Very quiet today, Trevor. Very quiet. Uh, so there's a Twitter account called the Pixelated Boat, and they tweeted. Was this a couple? Of, how long ago was the the original Milkshake Duck tweet? It was like last year. I was thinking like two years. Like it was 20, a couple like years ago. 2017. So this tweet says. Uh, it's like, what? Everybody look at the milkshake duck. A duck that... No, everybody loves the milkshake duck. A drink, a duck that drinks milkshakes. Uh-huh. And then it's like, five minutes later. We regret to inform you that the milkshake duck is racist. <laughs> yeah. And so it and, is... And that was the whole thing. But it, it was a take on, like, the... Um, it was not a take on canceled culture because canceled culture as a thing is sort of a newer conversation. It was commentary on how um, it was. It was Ken Bone. It was about Ken Bone. Ken so Bone. So it was older than yep. that. Actually, it was older. It was. It must have been in. It was like 2016. Must have been in 2016 or 20. Well, Ken Bone. Ken Bone was in what the second or third presidential debate between yeah. uh, Hillary Clinton and Donald so Trump. So Ken Bone was this very endearing guy who asked an important question. Even though he was com- seemed completely nervous, um, looked like just this like awkward every nerd. He was um, like he was kind of a chubby dude with like a funny red sweater. He was balding and he had like a, a mustache and glasses. Like, but he but he asked but he got up and he stumbled through even though he felt awkward. What was an important question at the debate and everybody fell in love with him. He was like a relatable everyman until like character. four hours later, people found his his he did Reddit, a Reddit account. AMA. He did a Reddit AMA. Uh, on his normal Reddit account and not a new like one. Eight years, and people realized he was into some weird, fucked up stuff sexually. It was like, hey, you can look through this dude's Reddit history and see, like, a few years ago when he was like making weird comments about Jennifer Lawrence's asshole when like all of her <laughs> nude photos got released. <laughs> it was like, it's like, ah, oh, Ken Bone. <laughs> so, so Ken Bone is sort of what then Milkshake Duck, and, and this happened to any number of people who become really quickly internet famous for something, then they get researched, and it's like, oh, wait, that person sucks. Yeah, there was, like, that video of that, like, one kid who was, like, getting bullied for the way that he looked, or I don't know if he was, like, challenged in some way. There was, like, this video of this kid crying in his parents' car because he was being bullied. And then, like more shit came out that, like, that kid was actually racist and was, like, calling other black kids at his school the N-word. Yeah. And it was just, like, for a second, everyone was, like, man, we gotta end bullying. And and then within, like, an hour, it had come out that this kid was, like, a horrible racist. And it's just, So that was Billie Eilish. (laughs) That was Milkshake Duck. She came so close to being Milkshake Duck. (laughs) You know, she's young. It's not, you know, Katy Perry released You're So Gay when she was way older than Billie Eilish is. That's fair. And we're still letting Katy Perry get away with stuff, so. (laughs) Okay, um, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be back with our very special guest, Jack Packard, uh, who, to my knowledge, has not yet been milkshake ducked, so. (laughs) Jack, we're holding out for you, man, if you're listening to this. Do not get milkshake ducked, please, Jack. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll be right back. Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to episode 34 of Something Old, Something New, Something Borrowed, Something Brewed. If you like what you're hearing, uh, why don't you go over to Facebook and like our Facebook page called Something Old, Something New, Something Borrowed, Something Brewed. Or give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at SOSNSBSB Podcast. So you can stay up to date with all of our new episode releases and all of the things that people share on social media. 
Uh, I'd like to thank Jack Packard once again for being on the show and being an amazing guest and talking to us about They Might Be Giants and Neil Breen, two of my favorite things that are also some of the strangest things that I enjoy. I'm going to keep this one short and get you back to the episode. This one might be the longest episode that we've ever done because uh, the bit with Jack was just was just too good to cut any of that. So here you go. Hope you like it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Something Old, Something New, Something Borrowed, Something Brewed. With us today is a special guest from all the way out in Milwaukee. We have Jack Backard. It's true. I, I said that weird, uh, man. Picard. I have a I have a pop filter and everything, and I just couldn't get the P or the B sounding right. Everyone uh, goes Picard. Everyone. Really? Yeah, I don't know why that is. So Jack's probably best known for uh, contributions to Red Letter Media, um, Best of the Worst. That yes. sound right to everybody in the room? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I concur. I concur. <laughs> Wonderful. Um, so today we are talking about one of Jack's apparently favorite albums. I'm guessing that's why you chose it. Uh, John Henry by They Might Be Giants. Um, we have talked about two They Might Be Giants albums on the show prior to this episode. Uh, okay. They're uh, I Like Fun that came out last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, the spine, which is one of my favorite albums of theirs from like, like two thousand four. The spine's a good one, you know. Like uh, for for me, they might be giants. Was was such a part? Is such a deep part of uh, my life and my general listening rotation. Mm-hmm. That their first five albums, uh, I, I think I've listened to you know thousands, if not tens of thousands of times at this point. Oh wow. Uh, it, like it's just, and, and I, I always cycle, you know, like it, it's always, you know, like, you know, self-titled, uh, then, oh no, I'm going to forget the order. So, so, you know, self-titled Lincoln flood, uh, Apollo 18, John Henry, uh, then spine is after John Henry, I think. Right. Oh no, uh, no. Factory showroom, factory showroom. Yeah. And See, then it and then it starts to waver off a little bit. Yeah. Well, they, they have such a huge library that like. It's kind of weird. I'll, I'll call myself a fan and like listen to a bunch of their albums, and there's still just like stuff that I've overlooked. Like a lot of the early stuff, I <laughs> I overlooked. But uh, Apollo 18, I love just because like the fingertips suite at the end is like <laughs> one of my favorite things in the world. It, like everyone needs to have Apollo 18 on whatever music device they have, just for when you shuffle all songs, <laughs> and and you randomly get one of those five second fingertips songs in there. It's brilliant. <laughs> you just like listen into whatever, and then aren't you the guy that punched me in the eye? And it's like, what the hell? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so Jack, I don't want to make you date yourself here. Um yeah. but would you date yourself? No. Um <laughs> do you think you're sexy? Okay. So the question is, um uh, you know, sometimes some days are better than others. <laughs> one thing um that I like to to ask people about um cuz it sounds like you're not just in this album, you're into this band, um is Hard. what was your experience getting into They Might Be Giants? Um what where where was your jumping off point, your introduction? That's a, that is a good question. Uh, I did not grow up in a musically adventurous household. You know, we we weren't a music family. We didn't mm-hmm. have a record player. We just kind of listened to what was on the radio. Okay. So, so I actually got into They Might Be Giants late into the game. I, I got into them because of their Tiny Tunes episode. Oh, okay. Oh, 
If if anyone remembers in the that sounds super familiar <laughs> early to mid nineties, there was an episode of Tiny Toons, and I was still a kid at this point. That they did an episode of Tiny Toons where the Tiny Toons um, animated a version of Istanbul, not Constantinople, uh, and Particle okay. Man. And yes. it, was, it was just like a, a fake MTV episode where it was these two They Might Be Giant songs. It was very bizarre. And as soon as I heard those two songs, I was uh, an absolute lifelong fan. So whenever that, whenever that episode came out, 94 maybe? That sounds, that sounds correct. I love <laughs> 93, it looks like. Um <laughs> Yeah, do some do some Google. Oh, hold on. 91. 91. Oh, my God. I okay. love the fact that everyone, it seems like, who gets into this oh band has, like, it's not it's not even, like, through listening to one of their albums, but it's some other piece of media. <laughs> yeah. Well, N- Nick and I have talked about um, Homestar Runner and the advent of, like, Flash cartoons yeah. and how that's where I-, I heard about They Might Be Giants for the first time was in sort of that space. and Yeah, the uh, experimental film. Uh, cartoon from Homestar Runner. It was like a, I don't know how familiar you are with them, but it, oh uh, sure, I love Homestar Runner. Yeah, yeah, but they did like the cheat made a or Strong said made a short film and it was called Experimental Film and that's how I got into the spine and then I went to like they might be Giants website and listened to oh God what was on there. They had like all the presidential heads on there and you could click on them and they would make funny sounds. Mm-hmm. And then I think I heard uh, Whistling in the Dark. Like I got oh, super into yes. like Whistling in the Dark and I was like, this is so weird. But like I love the vocal cadence of that song and I was like, okay, this is something that I like. Anyway. Well, yeah, and, and whistle, you know, Whistling in the Dark, that's that's part of Flood. And I, I remember, you know, like I, I went to the record store, th- you know, the next day or that weekend or whenever my mom drove me. To the record store and you know we didn't have a record store we had a, a just one of those giant cd stores and uh, I, I wrote down they might be giants and the name of the two songs because i needed to hear these songs mm-hmm. again and i go there and, and luckily both songs were on the same album they were on flood which of course is a brilliant album so is whistling in the dark and uh and you know listen to it obsessively 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 and then i i thought to myself i am a fan for life so i immediately went to find more They Might Be Giants albums, but the mega record store didn't have it. And so I had to go to the used CD store. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) And the only album the used CD store had was their first album, their self-titled album. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what is this, 91, 92-ish? Right. So it's it's early. Well, and for me, I'm very young. And so I get their first album, uh, and I'm not ready for mm-hmm. it yet. I'm listening to it, and I say, this sounds nothing like Flood. I hate everything sure. about this. <laughs> <laughs> of course, now I listen to it, and it's brilliant. It's the Genesis. Mm-hmm. It's proto, like them finding their swing. Uh, it's so good. Mm-hmm. Right. But, uh, but yeah, I was a little too young. But now, now uh, I've, all, I've all caught up. So, so you were probably then um... – a little too young to, I don't want to say to appreciate, but to, to fully, uh, grok the whole, um, this album that we're going to talk about, uh, being a departure from their previous sound, or is that incorrect? Could you tell the first time that you listened, um, to John Henry that it didn't really sound like their earlier stuff or was it all just still learning what's going on at that time? Well, I, I probably got, you know, as as I get older, I'm just growing. I, I had no idea that there was... I, I had no idea how big of a deal John Henry was. 
Gotcha. To, to me, like one of my favorite They Might Be Giants albums is Factory Showroom, mm-hmm. which came out after John Henry. Um, which you know, of course, is a is a, a live band as well. And so, th- to mm-hmm. me, there was never a schism. There, it's just all They Might Be Giants. Uh, but gotcha. after after you, you learn a little bit more, uh, there's a great little documentary called The Tale of Two Johns, which is a, a short little documentary about the genesis of They Might Be Giants. Mm-hmm. And you watch that, and you, and uh, as it turns out, for, for anyone who doesn't know, uh, They Might Be Giants started out as just a two-man band, just John and John, with a, a, a playback device. Mm-hmm. They were a hip-hop band, you know, a <laughs> DJ. <laughs> And so they'd have to play all of their songs to a backing track, and that was their shtick. That was their gimmick. Right. But but then they decided they wanted a full band, and their fan base was split in twain mm-hmm. between you know people who were encouraging of their artistic uh, vision and people who wanted things to be the same. It seems like that happens with a lot of bands that, I guess, like, change up their fundamental sound. But I guess I never really, I don't know, I guess, you know, I think back now that I listen to, like, Flood again. Some of those horns, yeah, those were definitely, like, synthesizers and, like, synthetic sound effects. I, I guess I never realized that every, like, everything was. I don't know. It never, <laughs> I guess it never really bothered me. Like, I listen to newer stuff and older stuff, and it's just, mm-hmm. like... I don't know. You got the two Johns at the helm, so it's it's never, I guess. But uh, but also, you know, I'm 27, and mm-hmm. I wasn't really listening to like they might be giants until later <laughs> on. So I, I didn't grow up during that time, so I didn't really know one or the other. You right. mean you mean in in 1994 <laughs> when <laughs> these guys radically altered their sound by having a live band that. <laughs> Two or three-year-old Nick Lancaster wasn't like, okay, listen here, look, I'm not saying it doesn't all, I'm not saying it all has to be electronic music, but. My parents picked me up one day and like they noticed a fundamental shift in like my facial expression and I was like, something's right. going wrong. Nick's wearing all, like bla- you, you were... all black to kindergarten because he's mourning the death of the sound. <laughs> You were right in the middle of potty training, and you knew something was wrong. Life yeah, was it. hard back then. You yes. heard American Pie, and you were like, this song is about the release of John Henry. <laughs> so, we should probably jump into talking specifically about this album then, right? So, yeah, we, so, we've so actually, we should listen to a clip from the, from the album, probably. Yeah, let's oh, talk start, for a while. And start with Subliminal. Subliminal's, uh, one is... Yeah, you know, it's the opening track of the album. It's a pace setter for the album, and it ju- it it kicks you right in the face with a wall of noise. It's beautiful. Awesome. All right, let's go for it. All right, so here is a little clip of Subliminal from They Might Be Giants album John Henry. So we start out, and it's pretty uh, accordion heavy, which is very trademark to their entire sound. Which is it, Linnell or Flansburg that plays the accordion? I don't remember. Linnell. Okay. Also, if you if you want to if you want to go super deep dive into they might be giants uh, like offshoots, Linnell put out a really fantastic album called State Songs. Okay. And, and it's it's just a solo album, so it's like it's all you know it's it's songs all that that he wrote and produced. Uh, this obviously can be cut. This is just for for fun, but. It's really interesting because you can you can hear in state songs kind of exactly 
what he brings to They Might Be Giants. And it's very interesting to hear him without Flans mm-hmm. kind of balancing him out. Yeah, because from, from what I've gathered, like, I think Flansburg brings in the more, um, I almost want to say, like, literary vibe, but the more, I guess, dour, like, upbeat, sad stuff. Mm. <laughs> and then, like, Linnell kind of brings in, like, I don't know, more pop-oriented? I don't know if I'm way off base here. Uh, yeah, and it's it's just a, a, a beautiful... I think it's both of them. It's a beautiful mix of both of them. Yeah. Uh, which which is what makes the album so great. But, you know, like in, in this opening track, and, you know, I guess it, it, transport yourself back to the 90s. <laughs> and and this is their fifth album, right? So, like, they have, they have a, a, a starting point. And, and like you said, that accordion is part of their repertoire. People know that accordion. But then the drums kick in, and I, I don't know how much time they spent on that uh, on that like opening drum sound. <laughs> Excuse me, I almost burped. But like, isn't it amazing? Oh, how... you coward! Burp all the oh, no. way. <laughs> <laughs> ah, uh, it, I get the point. I'm saying is, don't those drums sound fantastic and natural? Yeah, it, it, yeah. It feels like they prob they like transitioned seamlessly from electronic to like organic drums which i i find super interesting that you pointed out because actually because i was listening even though i i you know i had done some supportive reading around this album because i was one when it came out um <laughs> i wanted to get some better context oh crap i'm here with all the kids today yeah. all right um but the the one of the big talking points is the the lack of the drum machine and the drum machine being this iconic sound and something i didn't even think about is the fact that uh, a lot of musicians who are switching from something like a drum machine to a live band might not really get orchestration and arrangement and how to use real drums uh when you've been used to sort of the digital side of things and the fact that it all is pretty cohesive, I think is crazy impressive, especially with how fast these guys are kicking out albums for all of history. <laughs> yeah. Every Absolutely. two years. Every two years, no, and, and it, like what's what's extra amazing is like in in the the bass lines, in the drums, there is some personality mm-hmm. in those drums and in that bass. And it really you know, like, uh, the, I guess one of the reasons I, I wanted to talk about John Henry is because it's not their flashiest album. You know, like, it, it doesn't have the most mm-hmm. amazing songs on it, but it is, it's almost an hour long, and it's solid They Might yeah. Be Giants, you know? It's, it's their longest, I think it's their longest album, like, or at least the songs on it are, I don't know, I... I've had this joke in my head that for a long time that I've tried to make and I don't know how to make it. And it's like regarding like estimating travel distances by like they might be giant songs because a lot of them are like are so short. And it's just but it's just like this one, like in dog years, like this they might be giants album is like so long. It's in like dog years. Most of the songs are like two and a half minutes plus, which like you're lucky to get that on like any other release of theirs. Which I, I'm, oh, absolutely. I'm wondering why, I don't know if it was like they want to showcase like their live instrumentation more, 
But it's just like, yeah, it seems like an outlier in terms of like song lengths. Absolutely. Well, yeah, I, I, I do think this was this was kind of them trying to give a gift because they knew that it would be controversial. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and of course, this is also coming out in the area of of albums, of LPs, of records. I mm-hmm. don't know what we're, what the kids are calling them nowadays. Uh, big C, big black CDs. <laughs> uh, calling them bla- and, black. And so, like, pizzas. this was a full two sides of an LP. You know, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so no, this is this is a very generous album, and and I think they t- to me, I, I'm a I'm a big album person. I like just. I don't like the shuffle. I like putting on one album and listening to mm-hmm. it all the way through. Mm-hmm. And and Subliminal does this fantastic job of of being a, a pace setter, being not being the flashiest song on the album, but just mm-hmm. saying this is what you're gonna get. No, it's a great opener. We actually talk pretty frequently on the podcast about um, for better or worse, it's kind of a subjective thing to do. We oftentimes choose to judge the album as front to back, not breaking out songs, but like the choice of where a song goes on an album does matter if I'm going to listen to this album. Um, I'm with you 100%. And and I think it's it was a great opener for me when I was like, okay, this is what I'm going to listen to. Uh, and, and it kicks right in. And I was like, okay, all right, I'm in it. I'm in They Might Be Giants land. I am set in. And I was kind of happy uh, for it to be a longer song instead of just like a quick like, 30 second intro, bop, 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 here you go, it's an album. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the other day I was like, I was listening to this in my car, and like this song ends in, the subliminal ends in like, it's just like backwards, like I'm I'm assuming they're like playing on the idea of like subliminal messaging, like Mm -hmm. backwards masking, and like that whole deal with like, oh, you listen to Led Zeppelin backwards, you're gonna worship Satan. (laughs) And like, I picked up my sister... uh, in the car and I picked her up right as the song was ending and it was like all backward masked and I was like I'm sorry I picked you up at the weirdest spot in this entire (laughs) album (laughs) she just got in the car I was like what are you doing right now (laughs) yes that was an appropriate question (laughs) I'm just listening to backwards music what yeah I'm gonna I'm driving downtown in reverse now (laughs) so pressing forward in the album Great. Well, you know, like there, we, you know, there's so many ways we. I, I'm, I, I'm trying not to nerd out on each individual mm-hmm. song because uh, uh, when I know when we when we were emailing back and forth, I, I said I could talk about they might be giants all day, every day, <laughs> for the rest of time, right? Because because I'm such a huge fan. But you know, like so. But on the on the subject of album structure, and I'm really happy to know that you guys are as kind of pedantic as I am about like proper song placement within an album. You know, mm-hmm. if we were, if I was reviewing songs, that would be one thing, but it's like, I feel like there's an artistry to album construction that oh, yeah. like oh, justifies the whole you. fucking Absolutely. reason for these things existing in the first place. And so the, like an intro song you know, and at the end of the day, if you put your intro song in the right place and you put a good closer or third act feeling thing towards the end, I can deal, but the idea of just like a, a good flow and a good rise and fall and and denouement at the end, getting the whole fucking thing going is is very attractive to me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Where's and like, you know, I I know there's a lot of like, you know, a, a lot of nerds like to look at the math, like you know, where should the hit be? 
Uh, yeah, and you fourth. know, to, ooh, <laughs> to me, it's always second or third. Yeah, yeah. It's, I was, you I know, was thinking the, the first too. song should never ever be the hit song. That's the pace setter. Mm-hmm. But like that second, you know, usually what I like is the pace setter, a reinforcement of the pace setter, and then the third is like the jam. Mm-hmm. That's where I like it personally. But but here they <laughs> they go right into snail shell, which is uh, I think you know was supposed to be like their radio hit because it has the hook mm-hmm. it has a, a just a killer guitar riff and it's weird they might be giants lyricists so i think people sleep on they might be giants as guitar players i don't know because like i play guitar myself and like mm-hmm. what's oh what's that album uh, uh uh i can't think of it right now sorry uh long tall weekend Oh, there's sure, like sure. there's so, like the song Rat Patrol. That's like one of my favorite <laughs> guitar solos that they've ever done. But like I always forget that like yeah no these guys can jam if they want to. You know, like they know uh, how to Flans uh, and I say Flans as if I know him. But right. John, John Flansburg is a legit talent, but he's also just very unassuming. Yeah, they don't. They they know when to flash it and when not to. Like they're very restrained. They're like, mm-hmm. like I'm not gonna give you a guitar solo that rips every time. But when I do, like sit down and listen to. It. I, I don't know. It's <laughs> yeah. Th- there's like a, a certain restraint that they have. Oh yeah. Well, and just just his hooks. You know, like speaking mm-hmm. specifically of Snail Shell, is just like that that one that that verse hook. You know, yeah. Yeah, because that's uh, I do a pretty good job with my mouth. <laughs> uh, it, it's it's just a killer hook. Yeah. Uh, do we want to listen to Snail Shell? I mean, I don't. <laughs> we, we do it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we can. We can do this every fucking song. Okay, I will, I'm gonna. I'm just draw. We can't listen to every yeah. song. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. We can skip a, a few of the next ones. That's all right. All right, all right. Let's yeah. Let's do let's do a little bit of snail shell. Uh, they might be giants. I feel John like Henry. six is my upper limit on what I think people will will accept. <laughs> we're just, we're pushing boundaries. They were already where people were gonna land after grunge lived its its course of of radio popularity, and then uh, the the inevitable drive back to pop was happening. And it's like, how do I incorporate some of these elements that are cool with the kids? Uh, <laughs> and they were just already doing it when no one was, well, not no one, but when not many people were paying for it. <laughs> right. Well, it's you know be- because they're they're on their own planet. They they people people are never ready for they might be giants. The the masses are never ready for they might be giants. Uh, like the the uh, the Ven uh, our planets. If we if we assume they're on a parallel dimension because <laughs> they're they're too brilliant for our dimension. Every once in a while, like a solar eclipse, they might be giants in our dimension cross beautifully. And then we get like the, uh, like, you're not the boss of me for Malcolm. And yeah. yeah. You know, that's or, like, that's the get... case every time I'll be like, you're like, oh, I'm listening to they might be giants. It's like, oh, I don't know who they are. And I was like, have you seen Malcolm in the middle? I'm like, yeah. I was like, yeah, the theme song. I'm like, oh, Right. I, it's kind of you know. I think it's what it is. Is they're fourth dimensional, so that's it. They're experiencing all time at the same time, oh and so God. sometimes they just misplaced. 
They just misplaced the tracks. You Is know? this what Interstellar was about? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew McConaughey didn't go to find corn. He went to find they might be giants. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> He's on like the water planet. He's just like, you're not the boss of me now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's yelling at the concept of relativity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. And, and I, I guess like, like, like skipping ahead a little bit we, in talking about like something like snail shell or subliminal, I, I think what holds the general fandom apart from They Might Be Giants is their lyrics. Because mm-hmm. they're they're not necessarily singing about the the girl I lost or wanting to go to the club to dance, but sometimes mm-hmm. they are, but they do it in a weird way. Sure. Yeah. And, you go ahead. Oh, sure. I, I was going to skip ahead to to uh, track number four, which is unrelated thing. Yeah. So this this one I. When I when I listened to the first half of this through, I was like, this song really stood out to me. Mm-hmm. And then when I was doing some reading around it, I found that this is one that people actually fall on as a uh, – uh, cr- they criticize this track pretty hard. Really? Which I find interesting, yeah. I think maybe um, at the t- – you know, let's what, – what do you have to say about this? What I was going to say is this is the the half of They Might Be Giants where I think their lyrical ability is, uh, again, fourth dimensional. This is mm-hmm. a a sad song, but it's far sadder when you think about it more. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, you know, the, the, the lyrics of this song, when, when the song starts... Uh, a man is is upset at a lady for for laughing at his very serious story. But that's not what the song is about. The song isn't about her laughing at his serious story. It's about the fact that she never pays attention to him. And it's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, I don't know, that's what I've always loved about this band is that, um, like, lyrically, sometimes, like, they make literary references or like esoteric references to like weird things but like i don't know it's almost like it's almost like wes anderson movies if that makes any sense like the way that like wes anderson makes movies like the characters sometimes feel like very like almost not belonging on this planet like they don't necessarily (laughs) act like how people act but when they show like these weird like little subtle moments of humanity. It's like the most devastating thing. Mm-hmm. And they say it in ways that like that, that, uh, that aren't like overtly like under, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. No, but- no, I think, I, th- I think you're, you're absolutely on the right track. It's, it's like when you're watching a cartoon and they're doing very silly cartoon things, but then all of a sudden one of the cartoons characters, grandma really dies. Yeah. yeah. And you're, and like, and like they they have a moment where they're not hitting each other with giant hammers, they're just sad, and you go, "Whoa, this was supposed to be a good time, right?" Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like that's that's like they kind of uh, toe that line lyrically. It's where, like, Abed's uncontrollable Christmas, uh, <laughs> a classic episode of Community. Huh? Yeah, like Dan Har- Dan Harmon stuff it. is like pretty good. Like, they do a they do a oh we're doing a claymation holiday episode that's also a musical, and it's about uh it's about one of the characters 
um, mom's choosing to spend Christmas with her other family. And it's just like, oh, what the fuck, man? <laughs> like, come on, <laughs> I thought dude. we were doing the holiday special with the claymation and the songs and Santa. Yeah. I don't know. Like, They Might Be Giants makes sad songs that you have to work for, almost, to like to get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, may, uh, and maybe, and, and you know, th- this... Like uh, unrelated thing is is a is a is strange, you know. Even sonically, because it's it's a very, it almost sounds like a very traditional country ballad. You know, it's very genre bending. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it has these these weird lyrics, and I, I guess I could, I could understand why someone listening to a They Might Be Giants album, like, hey, this is supposed to be about, you know, old presidents that no one remembers, and <laughs> uh, why, why are we listening to a sad song? <laughs> it's it's very reminiscent of uh i want to say off of off of lincoln there's they'll need a crane I think which I, is yeah uh, they'll need a crane is this upbeat swingy pop song about a divorced couple uh tearing apart their house because they can't stand each other anymore <laughs> holy so, shit it's, it's beautiful <laughs> <laughs> all right well let's let's play a little clip from uh unrelated thing from uh they might be Giants album, John Henry. Jesus, this song is bleak. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> right? And then just like run those lyrics in your head a few times and you go, oh man, it's way worse. Because <laughs> like, there's like, there's songs about breaking up and like, yeah, that's like a sad, it's like a sad act to like break up. Mm-hmm. But then there's like learning that you don't know how to communicate with each other. And that's like right? so much worse. Or just learning that, like, the person you're with not only doesn't care about the things you're saying, but tells you that they're going to make no effort. Oh, my God. Like, when you get to the end of the song, like, the guy, you know, at least in the story, the the guy is trying to say, well, you know, I'm going to tell you another story and it'll be a funny story. Maybe you'll laugh at that. And the the woman just says, no, because I'll be thinking about something else. So I won't. I'm just never going to think about you. It's... (laughs) It's terrible. Sorry, what was that? From above. Oh, like Ben Folds. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, we're big Ben Folds fans too. Which mm. we're just we're, we're all. In. I, you know, I don't know if I've listened to any of his stuff past past that like past that big uh, Ben Folds five album. Uh, whatever and ever, amen. Yeah, the one that had brick on it. <laughs> She's a brick. Yeah. yeah. No, or did that also have um Gimme My Money Back? Yeah, song yeah. for the dumped. <laughs> yeah, that's And that's Give yeah. Me Back My Black T shirt. Yeah. You bitch. <laughs> it's it's funny. I, I am not gonna say this on the show because I don't need to talk about Ben Folds too much more ever, I think, on the show. <laughs> but when you were talking about um when when I, I was gonna intro it this way. Um, when I got into Ben Folds, I got into Ben Folds' later work, and then the first thing I did was listen to the Ben Folds' five first album, and I was like, I don't like this. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's way year, different. But then years later, I was like, this is amazing, this is great, and it sounded a lot like you listening to self-titled uh, They Might Be Giants after oh, sure. after like yeah, the fifth I mean, album. Sometimes you're just, you're just not at that right mental place mm-hmm. for the thing that you're going to end up loving. Yeah, I was just really into the gimmick that was happening at the time, and then I went back to this thing, and I was like, "Huh, maybe this later." This isn't like the thing I like. Yeah, <laughs> this isn't bitches ain't shit. Oh my god! All right, 
Let's get back in. All right, we'll, uh, let's, I was at three clips. Mm-hmm. All right, let's, uh, I don't know, we can, we can move into final thoughts, and then uh, we'll yeah, we talk can go, about, we can go a little we, Yeah, or, yeah, yeah whatever, whatever you got yeah. time for. This is a long album, we can get a little can, more into it. We can get a little more into it, yeah, I'm fine sure. with it. The big hit's still to go, right? What was the big hit on this one? I don't even know. Uh, come on, this is, this is, They Might Be Giants. First of all, <laughs> there's rarely any big hit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, if there up. was a big pit, it was probably snail shell, uh, and and you know the the rest of we'll we'll call this side A because uh, mm-hmm. it's just too much. The rest of side A, it's like it's all good. You have you have very weird songs like extra savoir faire, which is this crazy French braggadocio song mm-hmm. about how stylish Jan Flansburg is. You have spy, which if you're a, a long time they might be giants fans. On almost every album, they have this song that's in a, a weird '60s spy theme <laughs> with like <laughs> a, a lot of twangy guitars, and like they're always about being spies and people being detectives. <laughs> you know, yeah. like on their first album, they have like Hotel Detective. There's a bunch of these weird songs, but yeah. but what's crazy when you're listening to the album is is you get to like uh, track number ten, oh, oh mm-hmm. do not forsake me. And it feels like the end of the album. And then it kicks in with No One Knows My Plan, which is another ripper, which is... uh, And you go, where does this come from? This sounds like a whole new album because it's side B of the vinyl. Oh, okay. So that takes it to even another level of album construction when you're in, well, literal (laughs) vinyl albums where you... You know, you have two options, right? You can leave the end of side A on a cliffhanger that's begging you to flip it, or you can make each side its own three-dimensional enjoyable listen, so. And and it's like, I think these are two separate albums that they turned into one as a, almost as a pre-apology saying, I know not a lot of people are going to like the fact that we are a band now, so here is actually two albums. A fun little note, the, the album name, John Henry, is a, a play on the famous character John Henry, who was a, a, a human uh, fighting against the powers of a machine. Mm-hmm. So now now it's a band full of humans instead of a band of machines. You get, get it? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. They fought oh. against the machine. They freed themselves. They raged against the... They, they might be raged. giants raged against the machine. <laughs> against the machine. But, and yeah, <laughs> and like, no one knows my story. plan is... Is a is a fantastic song. We you don't have to play that one, uh, but it's 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 really great. The the one that uh, along the lines of uh, unrelated thing being, uh, you know, lyrically dense and you know deeper on, onion meanings, deeper meanings. The more you listen to of it, I uh, destination moon is one that I go back to just by itself because I think it's a, a an incredibly constructed song. Uh, which I believe at the heart, this this is kind of a little bit metaphorical and a little bit literal, but like I, I think at the heart of Destination Moon, it's about doing this fantastical thing, taking a, a rocket ship to the moon. And then the, the lyrics of the song kind of deconstruct how he got to the moon. You know, oh, I took uh, an airport to the rocket. I took a taxi to the airport. I took my front door to the taxi. Uh, fr- uh, all the way back to him just willing himself to get out of bed. And it's this incredibly motivational song about like, oh, you can go to the moon. All you have to do is take the covers off and get out of bed. <laughs> and, I, and I think it's a really beautiful song. But 
uh, you know, lyrically dense, I think. Or I'm blowing smoke out of my ass. No. And it's just about taking a rocket to the moon. So I didn't. Here's the, okay. I didn't. Okay. Let's so talk like, about the nature of art for a second. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now we're getting into it. It doesn't matter what it was if to you that's what it is right dude i material intent motherfucker (laughs) death of the artist okay they they might have written a fucking song about going to the moon actually there's i can relate so hard with like the idea of just getting out of bed holy shit like Oh, that's oh, that is wild. I don't know. Well, I lis- I was listening to this like kind of at work today and like in the car, and I, I think that that's the problem is that I didn't just like sit down and like, short of putting myself in a sensory deprivation tank, just like listen to what they're saying because it is so subtly devastating. It really but, like, well, and this is a byproduct. Like I said, I've I've listened to these albums so many times. It's just right. a byproduct of that. Yeah, I didn't even. I don't know. I guess you know. I, I I'm caught with my pants down here. Didn't not doing as much <laughs> research as I could have. But like, no, that's that's fair. Well, and yeah, to back up for for any nerds listening, for any lyrical nerds listening, to to back up my theory, the the other part of the lyrics uh, talk about uh, the he gets a get well card, and and you know he says, well, nothing nothing's wrong with me. Uh, you just think there's something wrong with me, but you know, really, I'm fine. And I'm going to show you that I'm fine by going, you know, by taking a rocket to the moon. All I need mm. to do is get out of bed. Is 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 the basic is why I'm thinking that the song mm-hmm. is really about like just finding that motivation to do anything in your day. And I think it's a I like one, it's also just a, a ripper of a song. It has like these these giant bell gongs that are are uh, uh, mimicking the guitar chords. It's oh, it's just a great song. Oh, I feel like we got to listen to this now. You do. I'm, that's why I'm talking about it because I yeah. want to listen to it. All right. Well, let's let let's grab a clip from that then. All right. Here is Destination Moon from They Might Be Giants on the album John Henry. Mm-hmm. Who do you mm-hmm. keep slapping? Sorry, I'm, this is this is for my own for my own editing he sake. Keeps slapping himself. He's gonna fall asleep if he doesn't. <laughs> it's I so know, warm in this house. I'm just like, hey, come here. I gotta I gotta clap us back in, or I just. <laughs> Slap the intern in the face. <laughs> yeah, he slaps our intern TJ. <laughs> nice. Which in our non-fiction podcast, we have a fictional canon of a intern named TJ. <laughs> I like it. Who is Trevor's son? TJ, get your shit together. Yeah, get a Starbucks or something. <laughs> All right, so. <laughs> Let's pivot through. We're, we're gonna okay. we're gonna push it through to the end here with some final thoughts and some takeaways, and we'll grab one more clip off of this. Well, one more thing I want to talk about before we before we get to final thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, of, course, sorry, of course. Sorry. Like, I, I know I'm 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 just talking about they might be giants, which is something I could do a lot of. Uh, which is That's, you know, I the, I, I appreciate your passion. <laughs> uh, the the last couple of songs we talked about were these, you know. Uh, metaphorical songs, you know, like songs where where you can take the the, the nature of the song and, and try to, you know, find the the authorial intent or your own mm-hmm. artistic intent. But then they might be giants. Always likes to to pull the rug from out on, under you, and they have meet James Ensor, which is literally just a song about 
an expressionist painter named James Ensor. And it's just like, it's, mm-hmm. it's almost a biography of James Ensor. <laughs> <laughs> and they do this all the time. Like in factory showroom, they have like a song just about James K. Polk, our 11th president. And I only know he's our 11th president because of that song. <laughs> yeah. Or like, how was it? The, the Edison museum. Like I know about the Edison museum because of the song where it's like the Edison museum. It's like, yeah. Exactly. Like they're 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 just interesting folks. They they have a lot of they have a lot of interest. They have a a lot of things to write about, and they're always very coy about telling you what their songs are about. But sometimes it's just as simple as, oh yeah, there's this really interesting painter, so we made a song about him. Ah, uh, yeah. No, I love I love that about like that was you know when I went to their website, they had. Um, this is like 2005, I want to say. Mm-hmm. They had like all the presidents as like talking puppets. And you could click on them and there would be like a factoid about just early presidents and like facts mm-hmm. about them that you just didn't know about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're crazy. They're, they're so crazy. Like, I remember I only found out recently that Istanbul, not Constantinople, is a cover song. Uh, is... They Might Be Giants did not write Istanbul, not Constantinople. Mm-hmm. History wrote it. Is that wait? No, no. It it was a song. It was like a, an old, um, like a, it was a, an old. What do you, not not a boy band, but like back in the day, you'd have like a group of singers, like back in the fifties or sixties. Oh yeah, like a like a Rat Pack type thing. Mm-hmm. It, it was like it was like one of those bands did it. You can look it up. It's it's actually really interesting to hear. Not they might be giants do it. The original version was written by a band about Istanbul not being Constantinople. Yeah, actually, earlier um, when you mentioned the Tiny Toons thing, I had I had a moment because I heard the original version of it on Ask Me Another on NPR, and then the uh, ad break music was uh, Particle Man, <laughs> and I was what? like, "This is something to me," but I don't quite have it figured out yet. And then when you mentioned they were both in the Tiny Toons episode, I was like. Oh, dude! Even Particle Man bums me out. Yeah, because like it's like Particle you think Man. You're just sad. Well, well, let's not talk about. That. <laughs> Aren't we all? Just... Well, it's like there, there's like the part where it's like Particle Man, and there's like Triangle Man, and then there's Universe Man. But when they get to like Human Man, it's like hit on the head with a frying pan. Like lives his life in a garbage can. Degraded man, person man, and it's like holy shit. I, it, I don't know, which you know, like, in, in not not to make this the the Particle Man podcast, but <laughs> like uh, that's another one of those great like metaphorical songs where where like you know to me that's all about like science versus religion. You know, like Triangle Man is like the Holy Trinity, and Triangle Man is always trying to manipulate Person Man, and then you have Universe Man, and Universe Man doesn't care about Person Man, <laughs> which is how the universe really is. They don't care about Person Man. I feel like I'm about to burst into tears right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and and you know, like it's it's only it's only when like person man understands that he is uh, l- he does live in a garbage can can he get along with universe man. <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> this is great. We yeah, if you have you know, yeah, let's have a particle man podcast. Let's do it um, <laughs> every week. I'm with you. Yeah, let's see how many. <laughs> How many times we can listen to it in a ten-minute podcast? That's my personal theory about Particle Man: is that it's a it's a 
It's a song about science versus religion and how we as person mans can't really do anything about it. Well, there's like there's evidence to back that up because like they have albums about like their children's albums. I love them. I even listen to those. Oh, they're great. They're fantastic. Uh, like here come the ABCs. Like was it the uh, like here science come the is one, real? Two one two threes. One two threes. Here comes science. science. Yeah. Here comes science is a ripper. Absolutely. Yeah. Like the song about the elements and yeah. So it's like it, it's not surprising to me that they they delve into like science versus religion and like that relationship between those two things. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. And then and then and then some thoughts on John Henry. He was a hard-working man. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, who's talking? What's going on? That's Trevor. Trevor's been here. That's Trevor. Okay, great. Remember Trevor? (laughs) No, he's so far away. Remember Trevor from Soundcheck? (laughs) (laughs) You're so far away from your microphone. I'm sorry. It's it's literally right up in my face. I don't, it'll sound different on the podcast, but in my headphones, you're very far away. Trevor has a very demure sensibility. Discord, yeah, Discord's weird too. Um, let's 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 play one more clip and then uh, that yeah, we'll listen to one more clip and then take you know take a moment, think about how you want to send this thing off. Uh, in the tradition of the show, none of us are ever allowed to listen to it ever again. <laughs> oh no! I hope you agreed. No, I'm kidding. We've never done that before. <laughs> um, no, actually, I take it back. I for sure have not listened to albums that guests brought on this show. Uh, don't have any offhand. Not going to call anybody out, but not some not some great ones. I've had some albums from guests that I've listened to a lot lately. I don't know. Anyway, all right. Well, <laughs> let's 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 uh send John Henry out. Um, yeah. What's what, what would be the, like the last clip that you'd want us to play for our audience? To, if they weren't convinced until now, how would we finally convince them that like, hey, dipshit? listen to this help (laughs) well and that's the complicated thing about john henry is as a fan of they might be giants i find john henry to be endlessly fascinating but for for someone who like doesn't necessarily care about they might be giants uh, there's some work that they need to put in before getting here i'd say (laughs) oh listen to factory showroom listen to flood Uh, you know maybe listen to lincoln go to self-titled like get get deep into like their super jam albums and then come to John Henry because that's that's when it starts that's when everything starts to get interesting. That's like totally once, fair. Once you've ingested all of their better albums. And yes, I'm saying John Henry is not their best album even though <laughs> I think it's their most interesting. Once you've ingested all of their better albums, John Henry becomes uh, a puzzle it's 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 this beautiful weird thing where they were trying something that was against their own pocketbook if that makes any sense yeah they they took a risk they they, they did they took they changed their entire sound and you know they they this is like their fifth album so they had had four albums prior of something that they knew like they had a niche group of people that like dug their shit and then they like well you know personal like as a band like they want to evolve like they're like no we gotta we want to change our stuff around and like here it is so like it was definitely like a big risk on their part it it really is and it's like i said i i don't even personally think it's their best album but 
it's it's an interesting story. And once you're deeper into all this, uh, you know, I guess what I'll say is uh, is uh, the, what we should leave it on is uh, is not a song from this album, but a song from Factory Showroom called "Exquisite Dead Guy." Sure. All right. Because that's that's a beautiful song that everyone should listen to. <laughs> all right. Here is. Exquisite Dead Guy from They Might Be Giants album Factory Showroom. So even though that last track wasn't off the album we were, uh, you know, talking about, uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, we're talking about everything. It works out. It's great. It's great. It's great. But before we can move on, um, we've got to hear your, your final thoughts, your, your send off, your pitch on, um, on this album. And then you have to give us an arbitrary number score for how you feel about this album. Sure, sure. Well, I guess on a scale of heavy things to wind a string around, uh, a a feather being the lowest and a rock to tie a string around being the the highest, Yeah, uh, I would probably give this like a pebble. Okay, so it's it's not it's not nothing. It's not nothing, but it marks a transition between feather and rock to awesome. wind a string uh, around. Awesome. Yeah. Is that a, is that a they might be a giant lyric or did you just yes, make that? Okay, yes. okay. It, uh, there's a, there's a song "Rock to Wind a String Around." Off of hell oh yes. yeah, yeah. That's on that's on flood, isn't it? Yeah. yeah of oh, course okay. it is. Hell Someone yeah. wants yes. to burn the foreheads down. Yeah, that's awesome. So I want I wanted my arbitrary rating to be just as nerdy. Uh, they might be giants <laughs> references. Anything else I'm doing? Ah, oh, that's so good. Awesome. All right. So so that brings us to the something brewed segment of the show. Oh where, shit! I've been drinking this whole time. Where we? Yeah. So, oh, we, no. Don't worry. Do not worry. I'm so sorry. I ruined it. <laughs> Something brewed. Where we listen to fermentation sounds for 30 minutes and comment. Fermentation. All right. ASMR. You ready? Glug. Oh man, that's so good. Plop. Awesome. So, uh, being long distance today, we didn't get a chance to to collaborate. Super great. But we are drinking a beer from where you're at in Milwaukee. Um. We have the gluten-free New Grist Pilsner. Oh, a fine beer. Lakefront Brewery. Brewed with water, sorghum, rice, hops, and yeast. Uh, I know many a people with uh, kind of either gluten allergies or gluten sensitivity. And uh, their biggest complaint is that, like, every other gluten-free beer sucks. But New Grist, that's what I give them all, and they love it. Yeah, this of is all of the gluten-free beers. This is up there for me. Yeah, you can really taste the grist. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever really had a gluten-free beer before. I don't know if like, I, I would have been um, the first one to tell you up until about a, a year and a half ago that there's no such thing as gluten-free beer. <laughs> because for uh, the thi- well, Budweiser. <laughs> <laughs> the, the issue that's, that's not a joke. They make their beer with rice. The issues bumping up against each other is that when you're getting the malt for a beer, you need fermentable sugar, and you need uh, which, which comes in the in the form of starch, and you need enzymes to turn that starch into sugar. And barley is the brewing grain traditionally because it has both of those things. Um, rice is really good, except it has no husk, 
so you can't uh, um, get the liquid out of it really easily, and you essentially make uh, rice rice mush. <laughs> that sounds delicious. And so oftentimes, if you use um, things like, what, what are we using this one? Rice and sorghum. So with sorghum, they're getting a lot of the, the starch out of it, and you can use rice hulls, which normally you don't get with rice. You can buy rice hulls separately and you can put that in and that'll help filter it out and stuff. And and you can make a beer out of it. But for a long time, a a lot of people in craft beer, myself included, uh, were going to tell you you couldn't get a gluten-free beer because it didn't have barley in it. But at the end of the day, grain is grain is grain and it doesn't have to be barley. A lot of places are brewing with millet these days. And millet uh, it, it does not produce gluten and has uh, enough enzymes to convert starch into fermentable sugar. But millet is for the birds, as they say. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess, what do we... <laughs> yeah, I didn't say anything about the actual beer that we're drinking. Yeah, like... It's, I mean, I don't know. Tastes like beer. It's pretty neat for what it is. It is kind of... We don't have the freshest bottle. Um, yeah, we were. <laughs> what what we were in Milwaukee? What November of two thousand eighteen? Was that was that when that was? I don't know. Time is this is this is newer than that though. Yeah, this is from another. I think it doesn't go bad for another nineteen days. Yeah, so no, we got plenty of time. Plenty of time I, in in the world of gluten free beer, which is a a big old caveat by itself. Uh, I, I've drew, I've had nugris before as, as someone with no gluten sensitivities or allergies. Uh, I've had nugris and I think it's a perfectly drinkable beer. Yeah, this is uh, the best gluten free beer I think I've had for sure. It's it's not my go to as uh, I'm a person who can deal with gluten, but uh, I think it's a fine beer. And you know, Lakefront is is, is just a, a fantastic brewery. They have they have a, a ton of of, of great beers. Uh, Spotted Cow. You'll see on, on us drinking on the show all the time. And uh, so I thought Spotted I, Cow's new Glarus. That might be right. Shit. <laughs> uh, what does Lakefront make? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I don't, crap. We had a great time on the Lakefront tour when we were there. Oh, they have a great tour. Yeah, it was. We uh, They've got the, uh, oh, God, what's the opening credits? They have the La- Laverne and Shirley yeah. Uh, glove. Yeah. Yeah, they have the Laverne and Shirley bottling line. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot that that yeah, the dude that gave us that tour was like super energetic. Mm-hmm. And we were we were actually in in Milwaukee to see <laughs> to see a podcast cuz we're nerds. And uh one of the guys from New, uh Lakefront was actually going to see that same podcast that night and like once he learned that and uh, we're from Kalamazoo. So he was we, our best friend. We uh, we we brought them some bells stuff that they couldn't get out there, and like they hooked us up. So our our lakefront experience was super great. Oh, of course. Oh, I'm such an idiot. Now I'm gonna be I'm gonna be a pariah now because I said that spotted cow is from lakefront. Uh, <laughs> but I was uh, I was just you know mixing. Uh, to me, it's all labels. Sure. Uh, Lake, Lakefront, uh, go to Lakefront beer, uh, at least around here for locals is River West Stein, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which is a beautiful, like easy drinking lager. I love River West Stein. I remember uh, trying but, that when I was, th- one of the first things I do 
when I go to a brewery, specifically like an older place that, you know, Lakefront's 30, 31 years old now. You got to try one of the lighter beers just mm-hmm. to see, just to make sure everything's right there. And, and I remember that was the first thing I think I tasted at Lakefront when we were there. And I was like, okay, these guys have their shit together. And then oh, it was oh, just, yeah. it was uphill from there. In oh the, yeah, I mean like, in the good like way. fixed gear. Fixed gear is like a red ale, really beautiful. They have a great uh, simple IPA, all all good stuff. Oh, yeah. You did not uh, tell me what you were drinking. I could have coordinated with you, so I'm not drinking a lakefront <laughs> beer. <laughs> what are what are you drinking? If if you want to go on good tours, by the way, Lakefront yeah. has a, a really great. By the way, like if you're ever in Milwaukee, for anyone who's listening to this, you can go on approximately fifty local brewery or distillery tours in one afternoon. They're everywhere. Oh yeah. my we god, we have so many. <laughs> uh, oh, I just burped. So, uh, my, <laughs> yes, my my local beer of choice is MKE Brewing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also have really fantastic tours. Uh, so currently I'm drinking their OG, which is my go-to MKE Brewing, which is a, it's a, uh, it's an IPA infused, uh, or I'm sorry, it's a, it's a, a tea. I, I've been drinking too many of them, which is why I'm having a hard time saying this. It's, this, it's a tea infused IPA. It's a tea infused wit. Wit. Oh, interesting. Wit. And uh, the reason I'm having a hard time saying things is because it's (laughs) 9.2%. Oh, Lord. Which is why it's my favorite beer, because you only need one. You're getting down with it then, sir. (laughs) Saturday nights, my friend. Oh. (laughs) Uh, It's, it's, but it's, it's a fantastic. It's 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 a beer that has very interesting flavors because it's infused with that tea, and so it's it's just one of those like slow sips. You can just have one beer stretched over an hour, mm-hmm. and you'll keep getting new interesting flavors. They they also have a, a really great IPA called Hop Monster. Uh, all, that's also like eight something percent. Like very, it's it's like drinking gasoline in, in the the best way <laughs> yeah we we didn't make it there when we were in milwaukee but i've seen those um mke stickers at uh i mean everywhere i've been in the country a brewery that has stickers you know bring your own put it up on the wall i've seen an mke one pretty much everywhere i've gone and i've i always look at it for a second and then i'm like oh yeah that's how they shorten milwaukee <laughs> oh, that's in Milwaukee then. <laughs> that's our airport code. Yeah. So. <laughs> Detroit's DTW, and I do, I don't know what the W's from. Yeah, and I'm sure that, somebody does, but I do not. Down to wink, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. It's it's for Woe Town. Oh my God! It's like Detroit Woe Town. It's yeah. Oh no! Oh, it's woeing over at what it used to be. Now Detroit's on the rise. That's what I've heard. Yeah, Detroit's on the on the up and the up and. I mean, it it has nowhere else to go but up. Oh damn! No, oh, I, I, I I think at the moment I think at the moment it could go down again. That and that I think might it could have been get a dated right joke. <laughs> I know literally nothing about Detroit, so that might have been a very dated joke. <laughs> so Jack, I, I have a question for you. I'm here for you. What's up? What is the gender-neutral term for fanboy? 
What are you talking about? Oh, I'm sorry. This is a uh, a tweet from about two hours ago. Oh boy! So about right before we sat down, I want to know if if, if you've really thought this over. Um, and and I haven't checked that tweet. I, I want to know. I oh, I've you know, checked it. I I, I tweeted it because like. It was just kind of a joke. Like, like anyone knows, like, the, the term fanboy is kind of a derogatory term of, of someone who is so mm-hmm. passionate about a product or a brand that they see no negativity in it. And, and so it was, just, it was really just a joke, my tweet. So we've got, but, what the gender-neutral term for fanboy? Or is it already genderless, like deer, where you can have one deer or several deer? <laughs> I need some answers from someone who's not beholden to the patriarchy. Thanks. Um, That's right, dude. You got almost got you almost got ratioed. You almost got ratioed. You have like a hundred and one replies, which is like more replies than like. Oh shit! I got. Yeah. I might still have to start reading those, or else you know what? <laughs> seven, seven retweets and one hundred and eighty-two likes. Here's the thing: I did read them for you already. Um, <laughs> are people getting that it's kind of a joke, or are they taking I think it very so. seriously? God, I, 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 think, I so. think several of them are. Here's the thing: not as many people. Okay, I, I think what's happening is that even if they know it's a joke, a bunch of people here are pretty sure they have the right answer. Oh no! <laughs> so one that's coming up a bunch is Stan. Okay, a Stan. It comes I've never from the, heard the term Stan before. It comes from the song Stan by Eminem, which is... Oh, shit, yeah. Uh, so then, then it wins, absolutely. I'm a what, big what, Eminem fan. Someone, the first person to say Stan was that it's a portmanteau of stalker and fan. The next person says, oh, actually, sure. it's from the Eminem song Stan about a guy named Stan. And the chowder... He's a stalker fan, yeah. Yeah, and the reply is like, well, I think Eminem did that on purpose, and I'll leave that up in the air. Someone from the Detroit area, like, I don't know if Eminem's that good at lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, 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 whoa. You don't know if Eminem's that good at lyrics? I don't know. Did you listen to his new album? Yes, it's great. Talks about diarrhea, like, a couple times, and it's just (laughs) like... it's fantastic. It's... I talk about diarrhea all the time. It's great. <laughs> oh, okay. Listen. We did not I, review that I, I can, album on the show. So I can yeah. give Eminem a little leeway. I, I think he's incredibly talented. Several people want to say that fan is the answer, and they're mostly <laughs> responded to with like, no, 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 no. It's got to have some negative connotation because fanboy has negative connotation. Absolutely. That's the whole. That was the whole joke. Is it, it was negative connotation, but fanboy, you know, is of, is of course, uh, yeah, predominant. It's it's they're talking about men, which of course, I'm sure, if we would look at the uh, no, uh, all, fanboys across all genders, it would always be men, always because yeah. we're the worst. <laughs> uh, Although there are a few comments on here about um, terms about K-pop fans. Okay. That I'm not going to attempt to pronounce because I don't know how to, and I think that wouldn't be appropriate of me. Um, uh-huh. <laughs> where apparently, maybe this does, maybe this does go beyond just fanboys, but okay, it's an interesting little thought experiment. I've never really thought about it that way. <laughs> I what I what I appreciate this is you says bring... subject nut. <laughs> subject nut. Ooh, I like that. A subject nut. <laughs> I like that a lot. I'm seeing otaku a lot. <laughs> otaku. Oh yeah, and, and otaku. <laughs> it's really, it's really divided between um, people who are like fan, it's fan, and people who are like dick bag. <laughs> fan, fan doesn't, fan just doesn't go far enough. Fa- like, that, and I guess that was my point in 
And, you know, I guess for, for anyone who's listening to this, keep in mind, it's a joke. Like, that was like, <laughs> point. It's like, yeah, like everyone, like when you say fanboy, hopefully people understand that that is a negative thing. Well, and I think that, I think the people who are like, Jack, it's fan, are like, do, have been called fanboys enough without the self-awareness to realize that that's sure. not a good... There are dozens of yeah, us. That's, if they weren't just gendering fan for you, they were insulting you also. Yeah. Like, right. <laughs> These are the same people who are like, release the Snyder Cut, Batman versus <laughs> Superman forever. <laughs> for me, for me, it's like, yeah, give me the four-hour Black Panther version. I'm pretty sure Acts 2 and 3 got pushed together. Show me! And then I know that's not true, but... I'm always alone in, in like, not being super into Black Panther. I, I never everyone, saw it. Never saw everyone it. loved it. And I, I think thought really, the, like I liked a lot of it, but the pacing was... The pacing was bad in a way that I'm choosing to believe that there's an hour of good footage on the floor. Oh, I believe it. They, they wanted to tell an epic and like uh, Kugler, I think is a fantastic director. I don't know if you guys have seen Creed, but uh, uh, as yeah. someone who's a diehard Rocky fan, Creed is a fucking masterpiece. I saw Creed with my mom and, and I went in, we went because it was the movie that was out and mm-hmm. I had zero expectations for like, Oh, it's Michael B. Jordan. And he's, he's Rocky and the Rocky reboot essentially. Yep. But it, it, it was actually really compelling in a way I was not Super expecting. Good. Super good, and, and I like to to me at the end of the day, I, I just don't care about the people of Wakanda, and like <laughs> I I also had a very similar problem with Thor Ragnarok, which you know like is a really fun movie, had a lot of fun moments, and you know Black Panther like a couple good action sequences, couple a couple amazing actors, including Michael B. Jordan, but Thor Ragnarok was all about like saving the people of Asgard. And I don't care about the people of Asgard. Like, these people have been dicks for three movies. Fuck them. Yeah, I guess that's why why, why it's so compelling when it's like the Battle of New York in the first Avengers. And it's like, oh, I know New York. Right. I don't yeah, live like, there, but like, that's, those are that's my country. Like, I right. know New York. It's like the Battle of Los Angeles that didn't happen. Like, I know those people. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I probably would have cared less about the collateral damage. I'd be like, go go, Man of Steel on this town, all right? <laughs> anyway, sorry to, sorry to digress, but... No, we're good uh, what's here. The, we're what's good. this part of the podcast? What, what are we doing? <laughs> we're having a beer and shooting shit. Okay, yeah, So we're right on topic, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nick? What's up? Do I have anything to plug? No, you got any questions for we we got we got Jack from Red Letter Media. On I the don't know, here. man. I you just... got a captive audience for at least another thirty seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I was honest. I mean, I was honestly uh, amazed that you responded and said that you'd be willing to do it. So I, I don't know. I don't. I don't have like any questions at all, other than like I love the shit that y'all do, and it's amazing. And I guess I don't really have anything. Well, right. Well, that. That. then I got also, another question. Well, then that was a waste of time. Great. <laughs> I've got another question. <laughs> no, no, thanks for watching. We've if been. you look at your, um, if look the best of the worst hits over time, when when Breath of the Wild gets released and has the same BOTW, oh my God. shorthand, do you Every see time. an increase? on best of the worst video viewings is, <laughs> yeah. is that a thing that you witnessed happen or no because i feel like those are the two things 
Uh, not at all. All we see is an increase in confusion for for any, uh, relatively speaking, Red Letter Media has actually a, a small fan base. Uh, a small but very devoted fan base mm-hmm. uh, relative to other internet people. Uh, and so all you see is our fans being really confused anytime people are talking about Zelda and just say <laughs> B-O-T-W. Well, there's like there's a few like Red Letter Medium memes that have like crossed over where I feel like mm-hmm. people share them, but they don't really know like what exactly are it is kidding? that they Rich are. Rich Evans was on Ellen. Yeah, the Dick the Birthday Boy. <laughs> he was on Ellen. Or or there's like there's one that I see over and over again, and it's it's Mike in like a Hawaiian shirt with like uh, like a straw hat, and he's just like holding like a coconut cup and looking so depressed (laughs) and like i see that shared all over the place or there's like rich sitting in a couch holding like a drink looking down very somber and like i see those as reaction images like Mm -hmm. like in facebook comments and twitter comments and it's like i just want to grab people like do you know what that's from like do you know and they They don't and they don't care it's (laughs) it's so weird how like certain elements of like those things have entered into like the I don't I want to say the discourse, but it's just like like the the meme discourse. Yeah, they they it's just entered into the, like the greater zeitgeist where like people that more people know of those images than know about us, and those are also people that wouldn't necessarily care about us. And so it's okay. <laughs> Not many like we we serve a niche audience, you know. Like we serve people. I, I guess, you know, like Mike and Jay with, with Half in the Bag, it's just general movie-going audience. And so, like, you'll see they're, they're, like, they have a bigger fan base than Best of the Worst because we talk about bad movies. And usually people don't want to celebrate bad movies. Right. But as just fans of movies, we love them all. We love good movies. We love bad movies. We just love the craftsmanship and seeing someone fail spectacularly <laughs> is just very enjoyable. But that's niche. You know, not everyone's going to like that. Yeah. Uh, the the thing that you retweeted a few days ago, the Half-Life 2 with, like, Neil Breen talking, yeah. <laughs> was, like, one of the yes. funniest. Because, like, uh, the I, I forget. Were you in that Best of the Worst where, like, they, they did it all, like, 80s digitized VHS style and then, like, I was not in that one. I, they tried to because they were. If I, if I remember, the gimmick for the episode was they were watching Blu-ray 4K restorations <laughs> of old crappy movies, but they shot the episode on VHS. <laughs> and which then, I remember Jay telling me about that concept, and I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, and then like three fourths of the way through. They're like, ah, screw it, this sucks. And then they have like a break in case of like whatever, and then they, they bust out like a Neil Breen movie. Which I don't Andrew, I don't know if you know who Neil Breen is. I can tell you about him after uh, after we <laughs> yeah. record, but Neil Breen is sort of like he's almost like a Tommy Wiseau, only like actually oh. insane. He's oh, yeah, I'm sorry, almost like a Tommy Wiseau. <laughs> no, 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 no. Neil Neil Breen is so much more than Tommy. And uh, we're going to have to pause now because you've just made me open up another beer and I have to go get that beer. And we are going to talk about Neil Breen now okay. for another hour. <laughs> All right. No, so no. Yeah, we, we you keep talking. You just hold on right the fuck Mr. there. Because, <laughs> because I'm sorry, Neil Breen is almost like Tommy Wiseau. That's going to piss me off for the rest of the Oh, day. no. 
<laughs> I will be right back. Neil here's Green. The, here's the important question here. Here is the very important question. Uh, uh, it's hard to keep track of who's talking, but which one of you said that he Neil Breen is almost like Tommy Wiseau? It was me. Nick it, said that. that. Was, I made Do the we fatal have mistake. similar voices? <laughs> well, uh, it's just hard to keep track of who's who because there's oh, only yeah. one face that talks in the, uh, in oh, the Discord app. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, and it's, it, it's it was like Tom Nick. Hanks. <laughs> and it's Tom Hanks, right. So. <laughs> so Anyway, <laughs> right, we should both get on Discord for this so it makes more sense to people. Yeah. Anyway. So, so like Tommy Wiseau made, you know, a masterpiece, obviously, with The Room. Oh, my God. I Hey, how many times have you seen The Room? I've actually only seen it once, and that was maybe, I think I only saw it once last year. That's like the perfect amount. I've seen it twice, and <laughs> twice was good, too, but like... Anytime someone's like, I've seen the room a dozen times, I'm like, yeah, nah, you got really fucking stoned, didn't you? And didn't catch any of it. Like, I saw it, Trevor and I saw it uh, at the Alamo Draft House in Kalamazoo. And they uh, rest in peace. Greg Sestero was there, and uh, he was super nice. The nice. I want to say, guy. like, Tommy was just in town recently for a showing of the room, and, you know, like, good for him. You know, he's found a way to make money off of it finally. <laughs> yeah. But, the thing about, like, so, like, if we look at where Tommy Wiseau is now, he is kind of in on the joke, and he understands that what he made was a really bad movie, and now he's, like, pivoted to be like, oh, yeah, it's funny, haha, give me money. Well, now he does, but in the moment, right, he, he really thought he was onto something. Exactly, but that's where Neil Breen is 100% of the time. Oh, he, he, he still believes it's art that is not appreciated yet? No, no, no. First of all, it is art. 100%. (laughs) Every every movie he makes, I mean, basically, he's remaking the same movie over and over and over again for anyone who's seen any of his movies about him being smart, uh, smarter than anyone else, and how the government's out to get you, and there's vast conspiracies, and he's going to figure them out because he's smarter than everyone. That's pretty on track. And he is a tr- true believer in himself. He is his own apostle, and for some reason, he has all this money. I, I want to say, I heard somewhere, and I don't know if this is true, but I heard he did really well like in Vegas real estate, and so he's just like this like natural millionaire, and so he's spent his own money to make these absurd movies, and he still drinks his own Kool-Aid. And that's why... And, and of course, he's made... like I want to say he's working on his sixth feature film, Oh and each God. one of them is a ma- a masterpiece in awful. <laughs> and so, like, Tommy Wiseau wishes he was Neil Breen. <laughs> yeah. Like, Breen is what – Breen is a goldmine for, for people, you know, like me or for, for Red Letter Media who – try to find new bad movies he's he's brilliant it's wonderful well that's that's kind of the issue that we've run into is like oh my god i i looked up neil breen and the first people also search for is tommy we yeah well yeah. yeah see the thing and I then know. a host of actresses who i'm just imagining he'd <laughs> cast in his films yeah um what well it's interesting about tommy was and like the room is that like i feel like the room was like lightning in a bottle like it was like the perfect th- there has to be like a ratio of 
like really, really well intentioned and just completely dropping the ball in every conceivable way. Mm-hmm. And like, th- I feel like there's a lot of movies out there that well, try yeah, he to. He wanted like, to be so good at filmography that he bought two different cameras, right? Which is such a fucking insane thing to do because you don't buy cameras; you rent them. And he bought two different kinds. So, like, the room right. could he buy a film a- camera <clears throat> and a digital camera and shot them simultaneously, right? And it's like I feel like there's a lot of movies, scary individual that are like, or, or, or uh, like, like the Sharknados, and like, there's a lot of movies out there that are trying very hard to get that, you know, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. It's bad, but it's funny because it's bad. And it's like what you really need to get that perfect blend is like someone who is very uh, like intentioned in their work who was also just, like, completely blindsided to, like, everything else regarding, like, making films and, like, the proper ways. Like, Neil Breen, like, thinks he's making art and it's, like, important. And, like, that's why it's so entertaining and engaging and awful because, like, his (laughs) intent behind it is, it's almost, like, very pure. It's it's so pure. And so it's, it's that, like, that intent versus skill level. Is is the magic ratio, <laughs> and so you know, like the I, I think you know, like a, a really good example is Samurai Cop versus Samurai Cop Two, where <laughs> you know, like S- Samurai Cop, they were trying to make a, a, a real American action movie, but their skill level was so low, or their budget, or their time, or whatever was so low that we get the beauty that is Samurai Cop, and then Samurai Cop Two comes along, and the general filmmaker skill level is pretty good, but they try to make a bad movie or try to make a corny yeah, it's like, movie. Oh, oh, we're in on the joke now. We get it. We're going to make a bad movie again. It's like, no, you can't, exactly. you can't be in on the joke. You have, yeah. yeah. The same thing happened. Exactly. With, and that's why I like finding that magic ratio is so difficult. And so, so gratifying when we do, you know, you find your HK Kim's uh, who did uh, Miami connection or your, um, uh, David Pryor, who did like Deadly Prey and uh, Killer Workout mm-hmm. stuff like that, like these people who just wanted to make movies, but either didn't have the budget or the know-how to actually make a movie, and that that's where Neil Breen sits on on the throne of these filmmakers because he has something to say. Mm-hmm. And he says it very plainly, very loud, several times. <laughs> and I, it's beautiful. I'm going to do a weird thing for the audio medium here, because it seems that Jack is having trouble hearing Trevor. Um, Trevor's going to say something, <laughs> and and then we'll respond. Trevor, go ahead. What? You, you, were, you, 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 were, you were going to say a thing. Oh, I was just, uh, when we were talking about, like... Uh... Samurai Cop and Samurai Cop 2. Like, that's the same thing that happened with Birdemic was the first one. The first one was, like, the guy was making a movie and didn't know how, and it ended up being, like, a hilarious misfire of a shitty movie. And then the second one they made, and they were like, haha, we we get it. The first one was funny. Now we're making a second one, and it's also going to be funny because we're going to make it funny now. But Mm -hmm. that's all I was going to say. That's good. I wanted to hear that. Yeah, there's yeah, that's like a huge thing right now. It's like it's almost okay now. Now, so this will be different for the audience because uh, what I want to, I'm going to, I'm about to like say exactly what I heard. Okay, Uh, okay. Uh, For some reason, the way the microphones are working uh, for us talking right now, I heard 
absolute silence, and then Sam. Oh no! And then a absolute silence, <laughs> and I heard. <laughs> That's really weird. I don't know. So oh. I, I heard I heard three halves of words in that entire thing, and I'm very sorry that I can't hear you fully. I'll clue you in super quick here. Thank you. It was Birdemic. Birdemic one. Birdemic, Birdemic was bad, two. and it was funny because it was bad. And Birdemic two. They tried to make it funny because it's a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. We know why you liked the first one. But you can't wink and nudge when you were funny because you were bad at making films and then try and make a funny film. That's not how that works. That's not how that works. And, you know, like, there, there is a market for that kind of thing. And, you know, like, Sci-Fi Channel Originals have kind of found a, a little hole to sit in with yeah. the Sharknados and their piranhas The or intentional B-movie has a space, but right. it, it's almost like the there is lightning in a bottle of a bad movie that wasn't intended to be bad that it kind of sucks because you can't do that on purpose because if you did it on purpose, it wouldn't be what it is. <laughs> yeah. It's this weird, it can't exist in the same space. And so that's the difference. You can make an intentional B-movie, and that's fun. But if you... Oh, yeah, I was bad at films, and now I'm going to be intentionally bad to make people like it. That's not the same thing. <laughs> yeah, well, Absolutely. Like we're, we're talking about like lightning in a bottle versus general electricity, which is like, you know, <laughs> oh, sure, you can, you can plug in a toaster anywhere, and that's fine. You do your toaster thing. But if someone brings a jar of actual lightning, that's something different. Where it's like, you know, it's the same size of different coins, I guess. But Here's what I want to say about Neil Breen real quick. Um, he's got five feature films and only one of them has a Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> and also, when you go to his, to his Wikipedia page in his influence category... His first feature film, Double Down, was notably featured on Red Letter Media's Best of the Worst online series, is the first sentence of that. So, Boom. There you go, man. <laughs> Boom. You, you really know, did it. You really made... And also, um, it looks like both Red Letter Media uh, and Best of the Worst have Wikipedia pages. <laughs> and like, he has five feature films. This is the thing about Breen is he's also really protective about his work. And so um, he refuses to screen his movies at midnight showings. Well, if you. Okay. Because he doesn't think that his movies are midnight showing worthy. And so like there are people in the industry who I have talked to, like in the actual Hollywood industry, who are also big fans of Neil Breen. And who have tried desperately to get his films shown at, like, bigger cinemas for wider audiences. Because, uh, like me, they proselytize for the Breen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and he will refuse because he, in his head, he's not making midnight movie sh- movies. He is making art and he demands to be taken seriously. And he will also sell you a DVD of the movie with handwritten <laughs> Sharpie titles. <laughs> because he demands to be taken seriously. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have um before we before we get out of here, I have one more question for you. I'm ready for your last question. This is, you know, the answer is might be no and then that could be the end of it. But have you seen the movie Out Cold? No question mark? 
What's it? What's it about? That's it. It's out cold. It is a 2000. And I'm only asking this because I just watched this today on the recommendation of a friend um, who recommended it because it's awful. Uh, a 2001 film about snowboarding um, with Zach Galifianakis and nobody else that I recognized. Um, oh, I I remember that existing. It reminded me of. And it reminded me probably because I bet it's the inspiration for the South Park episode where they uh, they snowboard down the K2 to win the mountain or something like that. But it's all right. You know what? Here's what I would say. Don't watch it. And also anyone listening, don't watch that movie (laughs) Uh, because there's bad movies that are funny because of how bad they are, and there's bad movies that honestly just make you feel uncomfortable for an hour and 29 minutes. Ooh, that's an 8% on the Rotten Tomatoes. If you're going to watch... It's an 8% on the Rotten Tomatoes. If you're going to watch any movie about, like, a ski competition going down a mountain, it better be better off Ice Castles. Starring John Cusack and a dancing hamburger. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think we've got to wrap it up here. Um, Nick, you got anything to plug? Uh, The only thing I have to plug is The Shifty, which is a podcast that I worked on for Bell's Brewery. Uh, uh, The last episode of that came out a couple months ago, but that's all I have to plug is that podcast. Don't act like it's nothing. Nick is the host of a branded podcast for Bell's Brewery. Sure. Featuring such guests as Larry Bell. Sure, yeah. Founder, president of Bell's Brewing Company. It was was fun. That's all I got to plug. Trevor, you got anything to plug? This is like the fourth or fifth time I've been on this show. I still have (laughs) nothing to plug because I don't do anything. Awesome. Jack? Jack? Hi, I'm I'm Jack. I'm Jack. Jack, what do you have to plug? I, uh, you know, I have to plug, um, I have to plug first and foremost myself, uh, follow me on Twitter. Uh, you can, you can have, uh, you can see horribly ratioed tweets uh, <laughs> over, <laughs> over at Harlack, H-A-R-L-A-C-K. Apparently I'm, I'm about to check out how, how bad I'm doing over there. <laughs> uh, also, uh, watch, watch Best of the Worst, uh, redlettermedia.com or Red Letter Media on YouTube where exactly. we talk about bad movies. Yeah, or just or, Google B-O-T-W and I'm sure or, you'll get it. <laughs> Also, play Breath of the Wild on the Nintendo Switch because it's a brilliant game. Yeah, it, it is. is really good. Did you did you and Rich play that on prereq at all? We did. We we played it. And we did an episode, and uh, and then when a lot of the DLC came out, we streamed. We streamed a few. Mm-hmm. And uh, how did you I, like I those I, challenges? Oh, the challenges were great. I, I I loved it. I loved getting the motorcycle. I want to say I spent. I, I probably spent four hours in the game not doing anything, just literally circling Hyrule once he got the motorcycle. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's yeah. so good. I, I, I think I've played that game uh, through about three times now, and every time I find something new, and oh, it's God. it's absolutely brilliant. Well, brilliant game. For the future, if you listen to this, um, sorry, Hillary, uh, who in parentheses is my girlfriend, um, I'm going to go play Zelda after this uh, <laughs> on this beautiful, beautiful Saturday night because I'm real pumped for it right now. Um, thanks for coming on, Jack. Yeah. Also, also Hillary, like, you know, if this is a big deal with you, open communication. If it's anything we've learned from They Might Be Giant songs, it's you need open communication with your significant others. So if this is something that really bothers you, bring yeah. it up. Have a, have a constructive conversation. Actually, it's Saturday night, and, it, and I got there to play some video games, so let's fucking do it. <laughs> 
Let's go. Uh, also, you do you. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to keep you down. You do you. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah. So, <laughs> thank you, Jack Packard. Thank you, Trevor Depew. You're welcome. Uh, as always, I've been Andrew J. Pytel. I'm Nick Lancaster. And this has been Something Old. Something New. Something Borrowed. And Something Brewed. And we'll see you on Side B.